newcomers and welcome. Can everybody hear me? Hello? Can everybody? Okay. Uh, I am the held director. Uh, it looks like we have about 8,615 of you newbies today. And for those of you who were a little confused, uh, you are dead and this is hell. So abandon all hope and uh, yada, yada, yada. Uh, we're now going to start the orientation process, which will last about... Hey, wait a minute. I shouldn't be here. I was a totally strict and devout Protestant. I thought we went to heaven. Yes, well, I'm afraid you were wrong. I was a practicing Jehovah's Witness. Uh, you picked the wrong religion as well. Well, who was right? Who gets into heaven? I'm afraid it was the Mormons. Yes, the Mormons were the correct answer. So now I'd like to quickly introduce your new ruler and master for eternity, Satan. Now you are all part of my domain. minutes and 15 seconds after the hour of five in this the month of april in the year of our lord 2009 thank you for coming along and making it part of your listening day we are live from the plushly appointed yet not overly ostentatious studios of rock 101 kufo this my friends is the rick emerson radio show it is tuesday morning and welcome to day 12 and i count down the remaining precious hours until i rick emerson am face to face with marie osmond in las vegas i'm very envious it's all very exciting, Tim. It's uh, 503-733-2970. 503-733-2970. If you would like to join us today with your comments, questions, clarifications, conventions, ruminations, ponderings, musings, uh, whatever it is that might be on your mind today. It is 503-733-2970. You can also email if you like. It's rick at rickemerson.com. Rick at rickemerson.com. Sarah with an H at com. Tim at KUFO.com. Or Nibbler at KUFO.com. Uh, All right, so today we'll be talking about uh, Star Trek because we're going to be presenting the premiere of the brand new Star Trek film, the J.J. Abrams Star Trek Vehicle. Uh, so we'll talk about how you, yes, you, uh, might get yourself a pair of passes to the Star Trek premiere, which is being brought to you by CBS Radio Portland and Rock 101 KUFO. Uh, so we will have that. We've got a uh, monkey watch coming up today, job watch coming up today. Every, every day has just been, the entire country and everything we discuss has just become one elongated job watch. So that's uh, uh, coming up later on in the show. We have Steve Kastenbaum joining us from New York City today. Uh, CNN Radio correspondent Steve Kastenbaum from New York City. 
Don Taylor from Cinematical will be here. We'll talk to Katie Darrell from TMZ.com, uh, Poison Frontman and Rock of Love star. Uh, Brett Michaels joining us uh, later on. We will have part two of our three-part interview with Harry Shearer of Simpsons and Spinal Tap fame. I mean, what else? I mean, there's just there's so much stuff to get to. Uh, we also have today a copy of American Swing on DVD for uh, one lucky listener. That is American Swing. It is a walk in the wilder side of New York City in the 70s with this, thank you, Greg, this long look into the world's most famous sex club. American Swing is a no-holds-barred exploration into the meaning of sex. Available now on DVD from Magnolia Home Entertainment. Uh, so that's coming up as well. Uh, plus, we have a fantastic story about... I'm just going to read it now. Because it's not a Hick watch. It's not a Darwin watch. It's a little bit of each. Not really a huge amount of either. Uh, this comes to us from uh, Bloomington, uh, Minneapolis. Minnesota? Minneapolis. What is M-I-N-N? Minnesota. Minnesota. A man who was attempted to urinate off the Highway 77 bridge in Bloomington, Minnesota, was hurt after falling off the edge. Police got a call just before 5 a.m. Sunday from a 21-year-old man who said his friend fell off the Highway 77 bridge and into a marsh 45 feet below. The caller said he was driving north when his 23-year-old friend, who had been drinking, told him to pull into the bridge's emergency lane so he could relieve himself. The man looked at his friend and pretended to fall off the bridge before falling off for real, falling 45 feet into a marshy, swamp-like area. The Egan Fire Department re uh, retrieved the man using a chairlift. He was then taken to the Hennepin County Medical Center where he is in stable condition with serious injuries. The Hannah Montana Medical Center? No, no, I, uh, I don't believe that's the case, Tim. I believe it was the... You know, I'm turning into you. This print is minuscule. Mm -hmm. How do you read these stories? I don't. I I paraphrase <laughs> what I see. It, it, it's the deep, dark secret of the news. You just sort of scan it like the like the T-1000 in Terminator 2. You just go... And you just you, you internalize the knowledge and then recycle it. Mm -hmm. Fantastic. Tim Riley is working on the following stories for your edification on this Tuesday morning. Portland's jobless rate spikes to over 11%. A Gresham shoplifter is caught in the act for the 30th time. Salem Place still looking for the man and his monkey. Memorial Coliseum may not be demolished to build a baseball stadium after all. Parents are reminded now that the warm weather is here to try to make extra sure that your kids don't fall out open windows. 39th Avenue may be named after Cesar Chavez. Bankruptcies in Washington stayed up 50% over last year. Boston cops post they've caught the Craigslist killer. A bank robber gets second-degree burns to the groin. After an exploding dime pack explodes in his trousers... This after bank robbery. Dick Cheney says Obama's neglecting to mention the positive side of torture, and it's about time he does. And should anybody really care what Cheney, Newt Gingrich, Rudy Giuliani, Sarah Palin, or anyone else who lost the last election think anyway? Apparently they think so. One out of ten American children is addicted to video games, and fat people are causing global warming. Well, that's just that's just scientific fact, Tim. That's not that's beyond debate at this point. All right. It's uh, 503-733-2970. 503-733-2970. All that coming up. We are joined today, as always, by the lovely and talented Sarah X. Dillon. Hello. How are you today? Hello. I'm you, doing fabulous. You know, we neglected to mention your nail polish yesterday, which is bright yellow, a, a nearly fluorescent shade of yellow, which was, in fact, coordinated to the T-shirt you were wearing. Was that by design? 
No, oh, not at all. It happens. To and I actually do have bright green toenails right now as well. Now you went to the you were uh, the video shoot for Storm Large. Yesterday, I did right? that yesterday. Yeah, right after the show. Now was that the final uh, section of that video shoot? Do you know? Because I did, there was yep. a they've done three sort of uh, different setups for that in different parts of the city. Because you were in one of them, right? I was. Uh, so the new Storm Large. Uh, it, Sort of a bunch of things coming. I want so she has the one woman show she's doing, uh, crazy enough, and then the new CD. Her new. Oh, wait, what did we decide to call it? An album. Yes. So yes. the new Storm an Lodge album. album is called Crazy Enough, and that is it. Kind of you know you can listen to it on its on its own, but it is the soundtrack to her one woman show, and the single from that is a song about her. It's called Eight Miles Wide. Magenta. Uh Yes. And so I am fortunate enough to be on the on the background. Uh, I'm in the, one of the background vocalists for yes, that song. Yes, like we had to keep listening to that song over and over again when we were filming yesterday, and all I could hear was. Could you hear my part? Over and over again, I was telling my friend Heather, who was with me, I'm just like, okay, I'm like, that's Rick right there. Yeah, there's uh, regrettably the song is uh, not suitable for airplay for any number of reasons, so we're not really able to uh, to roll it here. But you you really ought to pick up the album anyway because it's fantastic. But if you listen to the song, it's called Eight Miles Wide, and it does reference a sensitive part of the female anatomy. Um, so there's so I was lucky enough to be invited to be one of the background vocalists for the for the the, the, the final round of choruses in the song. Did you actually sing? I did. Uh, I sort of shouted. Oh, you can hear him too. It's ridiculous. It's you not know. a Millie Vanilli thing. No, it's uh, no, no. I am actually there, and it really is. Uh, it really is one of those things you don't really you don't anticipate yourself doing that when you're uh, perhaps a young man growing up. Someday I will be recording on a Storm Large album while I will be singing about genitals. And it's and, spe- and really and specifically hers, uh, which is you know which is fantastic, but a thing that uh, it's a thing you don't really see coming. Uh, that's a phone call that one never really anticipates. So anyway, so there's all these vocals at the end, and there's and myself and um, and and Davies on there, and our friend Marcosito was on there, and there was a separate shoot for the video because this is going to be. I think the video is going to go on the DVD of her one woman show when it comes out. And so they shot a video for this song, and the men's chorus uh, it was at Mary's Club. They kind of put us all at Mary's Club in front of the stage, and there's these kind of d- dancers on stage, and we're belting out our, our lines. And then the final segment of the video, I think, was shot yesterday. It was in the park blocks, right? Mm-hmm. And so I saw some stills from it. I didn't see anything of you, but I knew you, I knew you were there. It was really fun and, like, just really random. Yeah, because they, they rented out the park blocks for two hours from 11 to 1. So I uh, went there, and... It was just insanity. Like, there were about 100 people who showed up. Like, all these, you know, all the extras. And they're all just friends of Storms. It was, like, you know, people ranging from Darcel and Poison Waters to, like, um, I don't know, like, Byron Beck was there. And, like, some... Byron Beck is sort of everywhere. Byron it's is everywhere. kind of impossible to have any sort of event in Portland where he doesn't just uh, appear like some sort of a stylish moth to a flame. Exactly. Yes. And there's, a, yeah, and there were a bunch of, like, you know, strippers there who were all, like, Storms friends and stuff. But it was completely insane and totally fun and yeah we did the entire chorus where she's like walking down this pathway and then like everyone slowly joins behind her and starts singing the chorus are there any photos of this can you i saw that there were a couple pictures on i guess it was her facebook page or maybe it was maybe not it was you know that thing when you log into facebook and there's down in the lower right hand corner there's some photos up here and it's not uh-huh. it's not something that's like on your page but i guess it's something a page that you're linked to facebook is i know i sound old here but facebook is really confusing it is confusing i don't get it do you, do you ever look at facebook and you can't figure out why you're being shown something or who it belongs to or what you're supposed to do with it i logged into facebook yesterday towards the end of the program and i it was something somebody has extended you a drink invitation and i clicked on it i don't know it. what that means tim do you ever get drink invitations on facebook I don't think he has a Facebook. Yes, he does. 
Oh, yes, he does. It's a secret Facebook. Oh, I'm sorry. Tim, you don't have a Facebook. I don't, you wouldn't no, know anything no, about no, that. I, I know nothing about it. Well, I'm sorry. Well, like I, I'm familiar with Facebook. I know other people who work here who are on the uh, Facebook. It's not like people thought you were going to accept their invitations anyway. I mean, really. They know they're going to be shunned by you, Tim. That's part of what makes you That's what makes you so desirable to the people of Portland is they know that you say no to everyone. I just can't give things away. Well, no, I mean, really. And one can't just accept all the friend invitations one gets. You'd have no time to do anything but sit at home and click accept all the time. So That is true. All right. Well... Friend, friend. I'm uh, busy outdoors gardening these days. Accepting friends is for little people. All right. Well, in any event, uh, so I'll look online and see if I can find the photo. But there was uh, one of just this kind of mad group of just Portlanders of all stripes in the park blocks as they were as they were filming the, the storm thing. So excellent. Well, I'm looking forward to seeing the finished product. Oh, it was yeah, it was amazing. I can't wait to see your part in it too. And the, and you got it. I'm telling you, really, uh, this is the last thing I'll say. But you got to pick up uh, Storm's new CD, which goes to the to the one woman show. Uh, so they, I'm, I'm a little confused. Are these videos being shown during the stage show? No, I think it's uh, she is filming. There's a single on her new record, and the, she's making a video for it. And my my guess is that that when she eventually releases the DVD of her one woman show. Yes, that there'll be one of the bonus features will be a DVD or well, will, be a, will be a video for the song. It'll go online. And she's planning okay. on releasing it on the internet. Yeah, it's going to go online, and then when she puts out sort of the deluxe edition of whatever, it'll be one of those things that's sort of accompanied with it. Maybe Carl Click will play it on his morning news. Probably not, Tim. That would be my <laughs> guess. Just a suggestion. Oh, hey, I hate to be this guy right off the bat. Is it going to be hot again today? Yes, it is. It's going to be hot everywhere. That's great. There was already a power failure last night. Really? Yes. And it was only like eighty degrees. That's because everybody like me was running to the air conditioner, turning it on. I can't believe it. It's over 75. Oh, I just got an air conditioner yesterday. I'm oh. really excited. Yeah, air condi- See, air conditioner Blackberry in one week. You are stepping into the modern era, Sarah Dillon. No, my friend, well, my friend Kyle uh, just got, like, I don't know, central AC with his lady friend. And so he's like, I don't need my air conditioner anymore. You can have it. So I'm like, yes. You know how to work that coffee pot Plus- yet? No. But okay. plus, uh, utilities are included in my rent, so... So you're running um, 24 that's hours a ideal. day. That's That's the way you want to do it, because then you could just have no, that thing cranked up my landlord. I don't... I'd day and along. night. No, we're just... It's, it's going to be like 24 hours a day. That thing is going to be running. F my landlord. They're probably listening right now. Well, I don't care. Well done. I don't like you. <laughs> Moving on. This is all true. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen... No, not, I like you, Tim. Uh-huh. Not, not my evil landlord. She comes into my apartment without asking. Well, she owns it. No, you're supposed to give 24 hours notice. Is that true, Tim? Uh, yes. Really? You should set some sort of a. You should set some sort of. <gasps> I a, did uh, set a booby trap a, before. Well, a I must trap. That's not what I was going to suggest because that seems illegal. No, I did. No, I said. Um, I actually put tape across the top of my door. Um, like checking to see if anyone had opened my door when I was gone, and oh I checked it, and she did. It was a little unnerving. If I were you, I'd squeeze out all the toothpaste in the tube looking for hidden did, recording did we know devices, it was, it wasn't just the heat that caused the tape to fall down. Shh, don't. Don't worry <laughs> about it, Tim. Just look at the ground. Don't make yeah. any eye contact. No, she said supposedly she had to come in and check the oven for some reason. I don't know. It was a little weird. Ladies and gentlemen, at the news desk, this is we your you personal savior, children. Tim Riley. In the news with Tim Riley. What a busy day already. So Mayor Adams has had a change of heart at Memorial Coliseum. He announced instead of demolishing it, he's considering ways to reuse it. Now, a lot of people uh, don't want this torn down because it's uh, supposed to be for veterans of all wars. And although it's uh, some people consider it a masterpiece, I guess beauty's in the eye and behold, it just looks like an old cube, really. Memorial Stadium? Yeah. Or Coliseum? Coliseum. Now, I didn't think, I thought it was going to be built as an adjunct to Memorial Coliseum. No, no, they have to demolish it because there wasn't enough room to build a baseball so stadium. The, so the finite amount of real estate is, right. insuffi- uh, real estate is insufficient to right. have both of them side by side. The thing about Memorial Coliseum is 
I, as you said, it's presumably a veteran thing, but that's just the name because the building itself is just very... It's a cube. I mean, yeah, it's very uninteresting, and it doesn't seem like you could really have any purpose there. I mean, I saw, um, I think when Ralph Nader came to town, I saw him there, and then Green Day was there a couple years ago or whatever. But it, but, it, but the building itself is just very, you walk inside, and you, you get the sense that there's probably not a whole lot you can do with it, and the acoustics there suck as well. It, it seems like a lot of wasted space. It does, it, and it really is, uh, it is not aesthetically pleasing at all. No. So, all right. So, anyway, uh, maybe they'll paint the outside something different, and... Uh, so they're going to vote on it another week. So it doesn't mean that they're not going to tear it down, but for now, it stays. Time for a job watch. First one we've had in a long time. Here is your uh, job watch for Tuesday on the Rick Emerson Show. Minimum wage. So this is in two parts. First of all, Portland's jobless rate spikes to over 11%, not to be confused with a state rate, which is 12.1%, but 11.1% up from 9.6%. The so last how is it did. that it's higher in the rest of the state than it is in Portland? Well, be, because we probably have more white-collared, fewer white-collared jobs here. No, more white-collared jobs here than other areas of the state. I'm so confused. So when you say Portland, here's a dumb question. When they say that the Portland the unemployment Portland rate. Portland metro area. So that's Portland metro. So is that sort of out, like, would that be out where Yahoo and the uh, Intel? Intel. I'm turning into my graph. They're accenting all the wrong syllables. Uh, but would that be uh, like yes. Intel and IBM? Yes. So they've been laying people off left and right, but maybe not as much as like the logging industry, which I know is really taken in the shorts right now. Correct. It's due to the housing industry. Right, right. And because such a uh, large part of the Oregon economy deals with uh, building materials and such, and that's why we're taking such a major hit. Jesus. Like building materials and lumber, they're kind of like our auto industry here, right. and that's why we're taking this big hit. So the unemployment rate in the Portland metro area is 11.1% for March, uh, which isn't good. The statewide unemployment rate is now at 12.1%. So uh, so I've been looking for jobs for people, and I found this one, and this one pays a lot of money. Uh, this is a supervisory detention and deportation officer for Homeland Security, Immigration, and Customs Enforcement Bureau of Portland, and this pays between $45,000 and $109,000. What does this job entail, Tim? Is this something for which any of us might be qualified? <laughs> you will supervise the staff responsible for the detention and deportation of aliens. That's what it does says it specify here. the nature of the aliens? Uh, you will identify, locate, and apprehend aliens and uh, ensue the physical removal of aliens from the United States in various stages of their deportation and exclusion proceedings. So now... Uh, really you will conduct investigation, surveillance. <laughs> you will prepare investigative reports. And uh, seize these aliens and throw them out of our country. Where did you Portland find office. this job listing? This is the government job search website. Really? So is that the guys are now our largest industry is just going to be grabbing and a hold everybody of people wants and to work for the out. government. Yes. Well, they do. Well, you know the thing is here's here's the deal. As the economy gets worse, that's probably a good job to have in this sense, mm -hmm. because as the economy implodes, everybody's going to be looking around trying to figure out like who's to blame for that. Mm -hmm. And, of course, uh, you know, he doesn't, uh, you know, everybody looks over at some guy and they go, I don't know. I'm not really sure about him. I'm not entirely sure that he is documented. And then let me identify the, and locate them and physically remove them from my country. Then the, then the government swoops in and then they, you know, and then they and then they start booting people out. So as the economy gets worse, probably uh, the desire to find uh, someone who seems uh, different in some way and to uh, have them held accountable for all of our economic woes increases, which means that that is a job with a future. Yeah. Yes. And it's for the government, and the pay starts at $84,000. If you're really good at it, it's 109000 What do you suppose the qualifications for that job are? Uh, let me look here. Uh, it doesn't say. 
All right, but this is on a uh, but this is on a government uh, job search website. Yes, it is. All right, mm-hmm. well, there you go. And it's in Portland. So this is it, this is not like a national thing. This is a this is in our fair city. No, this is Homeland Security, Immigration, and Customs Enforcement Bureau here, and you'll be the supervisor. All right. So apply today. That's our job watch. All right. There's your job watch. Straight ahead, we have Steve Kastenbaum joining us from New York City. More from Tim Riley coming up later on. Part two of our three-part Harry Shearer interview. It's the Rick Emerson Show on Rock 101 KUFO. It's the Rick Emerson Show on Rock 101 KUFO. Good morning to you. It is Tuesday. It's 503-733-2970. Coming up later on today, TMZ's Katie Darrell, uh, as well as uh, Don Taylor from Cinematical, and part two of our three-part interview with Harry Shearer. Tim Riley is following these uh, stories on your Tuesday morning. It's breaking news, and it's outrageous. Just another reason to hate GM. They spent $2.8 million lobbying in Washington, this using your taxpayer money. Right after the bailout, you'd be, we'd be surprised. No. Salem police still on the lookout for a man and his monkey. Memorial Coliseum may not be demolished after all to build that baseball stadium. Obese people are causing global warming. One out of ten American children is addicted to video games. And Boston cops boast they've caught the Craigslist killer. On that note, ladies and gentlemen, let's welcome now to the Rick Emerson Show from New York City. CNN Radio correspondent to the stars, Steve Kastenbaum. Good morning, sir. Good morning. Now, Tim was telling me, I don't know if this is a thing on which you can comment as a journalist, uh, Tim Riley, speaking in his capacity as uh, CBS Radio Portland News Director, was saying that uh, oftentimes it seems as though stories from Boston are given short shrift because of some uh, long-standing rivalry between uh, sports franchises from the two towns. Yeah, I, I would say that uh, that might play into New York's coverage of Boston, maybe. I'm not sure. Yeah, maybe, maybe also because... You know, we rock and they don't. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> so every every now and again, things may not be given the attention that they might uh, might otherwise call for. Yeah, well, you know, if you're if you're a Yankees fan and you've ever gone to to uh, a game uh, and against the Red Sox in Fenway Park and and you've been treated with such great hospitality by the uh, Boston Red Sox fans, it's understandable. See, here's the great, here's the reason uh, that I knew I had to ask this question as soon as Tim brought it up, because I wanted to hear something like that. I wanted to hear some thinly veiled version of, well, it's really not our fault. It's the savages in Boston, Rick. That's uh, where all the trouble stems. It's that side of the equation. So- it's always fun being, you know, spit on and having beer thrown on you if you're wearing a Yankees hat. <laughs> You're sure this is uh, you're sure this is Boston. Uh, you're going to right? Like you're not going to uh, you're not going to like 1976 uh, London or something. I mean, you're you're sure you're still in America. You're pretty sure, yeah. All right. Uh, speak well. I, speaking of Boston and uh, the, the Craigslist killer and all of that. So the first thing everybody thinks of when you when you hear the words uh, killer and Boston, uh, people of a, of a certain generation certainly think of Albert DeSalvo, who was the Boston Strangler. And it seems like about, I don't know, about every 15 to 20 years, certain cities will just generate some new nutcase uh, that hogs all the uh, that hogs all the headlines. And right now it's this uh, this Craigslist guy, the, the alleged uh, Craigslist killer anyway. So what was it? Was he placing, was he like putting ads online or was he answering ads? He was on, answering on... ads. Uh, women who placed ads for things like sensual massage or, or lap dances. And uh, police say 22-year-old Boston University pre-med student Philip Markoff allegedly murdered this Julissa Brisman, a, a 26-year-old woman from New York, with an ad on Craigslist. They believe that it began as an attempted robbery, and there was a struggle between the two. Uh, and so he wound up shooting her, according to police. So is this a woman who was um, 
she was uh, she was perhaps she was soliciting um, money in exchange for sexual favors, perhaps. Hard to say. Uh, I, I've read some accounts that said that she was only doing sensual massage, massage, and that uh, that's that was her gig. And what is it? I can't believe I'm about to ask you this question, Steve Castamam. What is sensual massage? Uh, I Rick, I would have to say I don't know. I mean, that just sounds like that sounds like a euphemism for humping. I mean, this just, just I don't. It, it does. The the only reason I ask is because people are sort of it's the Craigslist killer, as though. I mean, as though the, the Craigslist aspect, like that was somehow part of the motivation, but it really sounds, this is just my observation as, as, as just a, a bloviator. I don't really know that this is the case, and these are all just allegations. He hasn't been convicted of anything. But presuming uh, that he did what they're kind of saying he did, it sounds like it's just a, another guy kind of uh, picking up uh, women of ill repute. He's just uh, decided that there's a more efficient way. To, no one no longer needs to get in your El Camino and troll up and down 82nd Avenue. He can just go online with the with a few keystrokes, so to speak. Uh, you can uh, find perhaps a woman of the quasi evening. Hey, you know what's interesting about this? He's also accused uh, of robbing. A woman who did lap dances had ads up on Craigslist for lap dances in Rhode Island, and uh, that got foiled when her husband came into the room and, and chased him away. But uh, the the thing is, police are saying uh, that he was engaged to be married or is engaged to be married. In fact, he can't get up on his website, his wedding page website right now. So they're wondering what the motive is here, you know, and, and he was robbing these women who we presume had cash on hand, allegedly. Uh, and I don't know, maybe the cost of a, of a wedding was, was getting the better of him. I'm not sure. Yes, the, uh, well, you know, those ace of cakes people, they don't, uh, they don't come cheaply. And I'll also say there's just so many layers to this, to this story. I mean, every, with every sentence that comes out of your mouth, it's like looking through a keyhole into a different sort of figurative bedroom in this country. Not that I'm passing any judgment, uh, you understand. Well, maybe on the killing part, but, uh, but on the rest of it, like when you say he was, he's, you know, alleged to have, uh, have tried to kill this woman who was, performing a lap dance but it was foiled when her husband walked into the room from like not from outside but from like down the hall presumably where he was just hanging out watching sports center or something while this took place this is, we really are just the strangest group of people in this country i guess the husband was his wife's uh booker you know uh, arranged for her meetings but check this out in rhode island prostitution uh, if you put up an ad on craigslist for for something other than prostitution it doesn't actually say you know sex will be involved uh-huh and then the act of prostitution takes place behind closed doors between a, a, a John and a prostitute. It's not actually illegal. Is that only in a private uh, – I, I say as though I'm about to start my own shop. Is that, a, is that like only in a private residence? You can't just like a brothel or something, can you? you? You can't have a brothel. You can't have a pimp. All of that's illegal. But if, if a man pays a woman in private for sex behind closed doors – it's a loophole in, in Rhode Island's law. It's legal. I just I had this one prediction here to sort of wrap up this whole thing. First of all, a we will have completely forgotten this guy uh, and and whatever his name is. I've already forgotten his name within two or three weeks because it's part of that weird that uh, that, that sort of the uh, the advanced rapidity with which we uh, sort of not embrace but focus on and then discard all of these guys who are accused of of killing people. Like you know, we talked last week. I've already forgotten the guy from Virginia Tech. I can't even remember his name. Also. Um, I predict that sometime within the next 18 months, you're going to hear about some community somewhere, a city, a county, a state, 
where they move to either uh, legalize, decriminalize, or just look the other way for things like prostitution, because they're going to come, they're going to come to the conclusion that there's no way to for people to make a living. Sometimes, and uh, you know, the economy doesn't seem to be getting better anytime soon. They've already made some noises in certain places about trying to get pot legalized because it would make it be tax revenue for the government. Right. There's going to be some small, probably in Vermont, because that's where these things always seem to start. Uh, there's going to be some small community in Vermont where the, the mayor will just announce like we are no longer going to penalize prostitution and we will you know the, 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 you know we will collect tax revenue from said women of the night or whatever just cuz they figure that that's a good way for the state to make their peace so you just you mark my words it's going to happen within the next i would say probably the next 6 to 8 months I've written it down. Oh. Hey, hey, speaking of uh, forgetting, you know, killers' uh, yes. names after a couple of weeks, all right, I'm going to pull a name out from the past and see if you can remember what incident he was involved in. Ready? Yes. Colin Ferguson. Colin Ferguson is the subway shooter. Ah, you, you got it. Really, the Long Island Railroad massacre. Yes, yeah. No, I. here's the thing. I don't know a lot about a lot, uh, but people who go crazy, especially involving a gun or perhaps a wearing blender, those are the things I file away inside my brain. He, Colin Ferguson was the Long Island subway shooter who, and the, he, he either pled crazy, which I guess everybody does now. I mean, that's sort of a door prize for being arrested, right, as you get the insanity plea. But right. didn't it seem like he actually kind of was crazy, or am I, am I misremembering that part? He was. He acted as his own attorney in court, and he said he he uh, committed the massacre on the Long Island Railroad out in the suburbs because he didn't want to do it in New York City at the time when uh, David Dinkins, the first African American mayor of New York, was it was in office. Yeah, no, he yeah he was a big screaming nutcase. That's uh, that's what I remember about that guy. Wow. All right. Why did you just pull that out of your memory banks? You I don't just... know. When you said you know killers, I was thinking what was one of the biggest ones that I could think of, and and that from long ago, and I wanted to see if you know. You not being from New York, if you remember the name. All right. Well, here, I'll, I'll throw one back at you. Bernard so, Getz. Uh, see, I was going to say Bernard Getz, but that's cheating. because. All right. Sorry. I mean, be, well, and plus, Bernard Getz comes from, uh, I, and I think it. I think it is a post, I would say that the shift came maybe around, like, the, the around the Columbine era, because that is when there was the confluence of it just seemed like the media really uh, latched onto and fixated on some of these very... Um, and these crimes that were very, very off the charts, sort of bizarre. That, and that's of course the rise of the electronic media. So it was sort of instant saturation. I would say that's the breaking point because before Columbine, something would happen like the uh, like the Colin Ferguson guy, and everybody in the country would would know who it was. And plus, there were fewer media outlets. So the story didn't get diluted down as quickly. So Bernard Getz, I mean, I remember that. I remember there was a guy uh, in my neighborhood who that year, the Bernard Getz, who was a subway vigilante, who shot some guys who he claims were menacing him with a sharpened screwdriver or something, and they wanted $5. And he said, hey, how about I shoot you in the spine instead? And it was a very polarizing, very divisive issue in the country. But I remember that year there was a guy in my block, no lie, who actually had a Bernard Getz Halloween mask that he went out and and. Wow. And I remember he had this stock line that he would give to everybody. You go, is that a Bernard Getz mask? You go, nobody's going to rob me of my candy. And then he'd like move on to the next house. And yeah, I mean, he was probably uh, correct in that score. How about this? I'll throw one name back at you. Dennis Rader. Dennis Rader. Uh, I'm drawing a blank. Dennis Rader is that guy they busted in Wichita, Kansas a couple of years ago. He was the so-called BTK killer. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Right. See? And that guy was, I mean, he was unbelievable. That guy was bonkers. I mean, he was hella nuts. But he wanted to be called the, the BTK killer anyway. He didn't want to be known by his real name. No, he gave right. himself the nickname, and yeah. then the cops foolishly went along with that. But he was, I mean, he was just almost staggeringly crazy because they found all these insane Polaroids in his basement where late at night, 
after Mrs. Raider had gone to bed, he would go down into the basement and it was like those Guantanamo Bay uh, pictures where the guys were like standing on a stool in like a glad bag and a hood or something. But he had rigged up this weird camera setup in his basement to where he could. It's like that thing you see in every sitcom where you set the camera to take the picture and then you got like 30 seconds to run over and like pose and get in place and you hear the little beeping sound. Except that he wasn't so much posing for like workplace photos as it was posing in the clothes of people that he had killed at one point. And so there's these insane photographs uh, that were in some some news story about him where it's like him in his basement dressed in some clothing that he took off some some person that he killed. And then also just like for grins, dressed as a woman, uh, you know, and, and then like taking these photographs and then filing them away in chronological order. I mean, he was just... A whole lot of uh, broken toys walking around out there with legs. It's just. Uh, it's I just keep thinking, uh, getting back to this Boston story uh, of the fiance who wakes up and opens up the newspaper and sees the surveillance still footage, uh, still picture of her uh, fiance uh, yeah. in connection with this Craigslist killing. That does count as the worst wedding ever, I would think. Yeah. All right. Uh, Steve Kastenbaum, New York City. All right, my friend. Thank you so much. We'll talk to you soon. Take care. Uh, Bye. There you go. Steve Kastenbaum, ladies and gentlemen. Straight ahead, news from Tim Riley. Later on, Don Taylor will join us. Also, Katie Darrell from TMZ.com. And part two of our three-part interview with Harry Shearer. This is the Rick Emerson Show. It's Rock 101 KUFO. It's the Rick Emerson Show on Rock 101 KUFO. Good morning to you. It is Tuesday. It's 503-733-2970. Still to come today, Don Taylor from Cinematical, Katie Darrell from TMZ.com. Brett Michaels of uh, Poison Fame will be joining us later on today. Uh, he'll be coming to uh, the Roseland in May, and we'll tell you how you can get a pair of passes to the brand-new Star Trek film. It's 503-733-2970 at the news desk. It's your personal savior, Tim Riley. <laughs> In the news with Tim Riley. So here we are with all this hot weather. It's going to be a few more days of it. And uh, police are asking parrots, do everything you can to stop your children from falling out windows. The first one happened yesterday. Uh, parents should keep an eye on their kids because they do fall out windows if you're not keeping an eye on them. Luckily, the kid wasn't badly hurt, but he did fall. Uh, this is kind of embarrassing for Vancouver, but a lot of things there are. Raw sewage is no longer flowing into the burnt Bridge Creek. It was uh, ending up in Lake Vancouver to the surprise of everyone. It seems for more than a decade, sewage from a building housing Washington State's Department of Ecology regional uh. offices <laughs> was dumping sewage into the lake. I know, this is one of those things where I'm not sure, strictly speaking, if it is actual irony, but it certainly seems like it's irony if it's the ecology department. The Department of Ecology says it's embarrassing and upsetting. And I would say also revolting, perhaps sickening. Yeah. <laughs> I would say disgusting. illness-inducing. I would also have accepted that. Lake Vancouver, and is Lake Vancouver, is that, the, is that that huge, huge, huge body of water? I don't I believe I, so. Here's the, my knowledge of Vancouver it's geography. I've never heard of Lake Vancouver. Well, see, it's a little, my knowledge... I, I have kind of some finite uh, information about Vancouver in terms of the layout. All I know about it is this. I went to a poker game one time in Vancouver that it was like I had been invited to some secret part of Vancouver that only uh, the wealthy have access to because it was because it was really beautiful and it looked out on just what seemed to be this vast expanse of water and green lush mountain area that went on forever and i kept asking it was probably i probably sounded like a jackass because i kept asking the guy we are in vancouver right vancouver washington that's where i am right now and he said yeah we're we're in vancouver you're right about five miles from whatever because i kept looking out his back first of all he had him i won't uh, say who it was but he was uh he owns 
uh, presumably still owns, but at the time, anyway, owned a, uh, he owned one of the major auto, uh, dealer chains, uh, here in Portland. And so he had this staggeringly huge house. And so I'm there losing all my money to him. And just by the way, just a little side note, uh, over the course of that evening, he can, cons- he himself, this one guy consumed two and a half bottles of red wine and continued to clean all of us out just hand after hand at poker. It was infuriating. Um, it was what our good friend Ian Gordon called, um, a full on mugging. But so I'm sitting there in the kitchen and trying to assuage uh, my poker pain by just having like some hot wings or whatever. And I'm looking out the back window. And it was like I was in Middle Earth. It was just like this unbelievable, green, beautiful, rolling series of hills and lakes and ponds that went on. And yet it was I was apparently still in Vancouver, which makes no sense at all. So maybe that's maybe that's the, the lake that they're referring to in the story. That could be. I had a uh, experience, something like that. I had to go to a Christmas party in a nice neighborhood, but I made sure before I left that I had my GPS operating correctly, because so I could find my way up properly. Because otherwise, it just ends up like you're going to a roach motel where you can never leave. You know, you you check into a city and then they just find your bleached out bones by the side of the road twenty years later. I don't know. He was he was trying to get out of Gresham, but he was uh he was unable to make his way back to an on ramp. So, how did they discover, by the way, that the sewage had been flowing into there for ten years? I don't know. It doesn't say. And what does it say about the state of Lake Vancouver that it took them a decade to notice that perhaps there was a little bit of a uh, a funk coming out of that uh, body of water that should not have been there? That is true. All right. I've got a sewage situation. I've got a water and sewage story that I won't tell now. I'll uh, I'll save it till later. Here's Tim Ryan. Is that a tease? Yes, it is, Tim. So uh, President Obama is defending his actions to uh, release those classified documents, talking about torture and whatnot. He says... Uh, well, he, he's not going to allow torture any anymore. I want to be very clear and very blunt. I've done so for a simple reason, because I believe that our nation is stronger and more secure when we deploy the full measure of both our power and the power of our values, including the rule of law. Well, Dick Cheney says it's wrong to release information and not give all the good stuff, all the positive effects that torture bring us. One of the things that I find a little bit disturbing about this recent disclosure is they put out the legal memos, uh, the memos that the CIA got from the Office of the Legal Counsel. But they didn't put out the memos that show the success of the effort. All right. Is Thank this you, the, Dr. Strangelove. Uh, seriously. Is it, they're trying to deprive us of our precious essence. So we have to waterboard them. And then he just sort of like lunch. I, whenever Dick Cheney uh, is talking, whenever I see him on television... I picture him being like that little girl in the grudge where eventually he just turns and looks at the camera and then just leeches out of my television screen and comes and sucks up my eyeballs while I'm sitting on the couch. By the way, just for those who are wondering exactly how long it would take uh, Barack Obama to just start abandoning all of the promises and pleasures he made when he was running for office, uh, the answer is now. Even if one was going to be charitable toward, uh, you know, his uh, however long he's been in office, what, January, February, March? So we're waiting on the fourth month or something. Yeah. You can tell that Barack Obama's really opposed uh, to torture by the way he's going to prosecute everybody who, oh, wait, no, no, not going to do that. In fact, said yesterday, uh, flat out, full on said definitively, they will not prosecute uh, anybody, uh, any American who engaged in torture. Because, you know, why? Why would you do that? I mean, it's illegal, but that doesn't mean you want to prosecute. All right, here's Tim Riley. This comes to us from Houston, as in Texas. Some man walks into a Wachovia bank. And uh, robs it. And apparently, well, things didn't go as planned. Police arrested Daniel Duran a short time later after dye packs exploded down his pants. 
He was taken to an area hospital for second-degree burns to the groin area. It appeared to be the suspect at this point in time due to the dye packs that exploded on his hands and in his groin area and uh, all over his chest. That's what makes the community a better place and, and makes it safe for everybody and helps us get the bad guys off the street. So the worst part about this is the picture from the newspaper showing him with his trousers down and the burns to the groin area. If that's not embarrassing, I don't I'd, know what is. I'd like to see that, Tim. Mm-hmm. The Oh, wow. That's awkward. Oh, man, he looks like a troublemaker, too. Yeah. This is just my observation here. He looks like Gigi Allen. So why uh, was he stuffing the money into his yes. pants? Mm-hmm. I mean, that's ridiculous. This is like, but, but this is the bring um, a suitcase or a bag or something if you want to rob a bank. <laughs> Come prepared a little bit. You don't but, put money in your pants. But this is, the, but this is the life lessons from the Rick Emerson show. But this is the bank robbing equivalent of how the fifteen year old cheerleader, uh, you know, who's talking to you online is always just some homely FBI agent who's going to tase you in the junk when you get there. There's always dye in the money. That's the, and it's not only just dye; it's always exploding dye. Even I know that I've never robbed a bank, and I understand that when you do that, you always... I mean, th- this is why, if you're going to rob a bank, it seems to me, you always take a bank employee and you stick the money... I'm not telling you how to rob a bank. I guess I am, but don't do it. The This is... You get a bank employee... Well, it's a better way to do things. You stick One the money in the pants of a bank employee and you make them walk out the front door in front of you. Or better, get the manager. You take the take the die pack... kidnapping, you, wouldn't it? No, no, no. Well, not if you ask politely. Not if he does it just because he wants May to be I a May I stuff his dye pack in your pants, please? Certainly. Nothing would please me more. Pardon me, I've got this wad of bills I need to uh, put in your trousers. Okay. Uh, I had more news with Tim Riley later on. Uh, Don Taylor will be here. Uh, Katie Darrell from TMZ and Brett Michaels, ladies and gentlemen. It's the Rick Emerson Show. It's Rock 101. KUFO. We return around the corner. Stay there. KUFO Portland. The Rick Emerson Show returns. Roads? Where we're going, we don't need roads. This is Rock 101 KUFO. It is the Rick Emerson Show. It's Rock 101 KUFO. Thank you for coming by. It's 503-733-2970. Later on today, we will have a copy of American Swing on DVD to one lucky listener. It is a no-holds-barred exploration of the wilder side of New York City in the 70s with a long look into the world's most famous sex club, Plato's Retreat, available now on DVD from Magnolia Home Entertainment. Uh, Katie Darrell from TMZ will join us. Uh, we will have our good friend Don Taylor in the studio, Brett Michaels of Poison and Rock of Love fame, and we should be talking about uh, Star Trek as well. So uh, Star Trek, the brand new, the sort of reboot of it, the uh, the J.J. Abrams uh, reboot Which of that Which looks so film. awesome. It is going to be premiering Saturday, May 2nd. And so KUFO is going to be premiering that film here in Portland. And you are going to be able to score yourself a free pass for two into the KUFO Portland premiere of Star Trek Saturday, May 2nd, which is five days, by the way, before it opens to the uh, the public. So it's going to be, I mean, they've shown it at the Alamo Draft House. And I think they, it was like in Italy or France or some such they were showing it, but it, it is five days for anybody else going to be able to see it. So your chance, uh, at scoring a pass for two into the KUFO Portland premiere of Star Trek Saturday, May 2nd happens this Thursday, ladies and gentlemen, this Thursday at the Mission, uh, which is right there at uh, 16th and Gleason in Northwest. Doors open at 7.30 p.m. Uh, for the KUFO Rockin' the Red Shirts party. And that is at the Mission at 16th and Gleason, Northwest, uh, this Thursday at 7.30 p.m. So admission is free. 
Uh, you got to be 21 and older. Uh, admission is free. All you got to do is wear a red shirt. You wear a red shirt, you're entered to win a pass for two. That's it. Period. That's all you have to do. So that is at the mission this Thursday, 16th and Northwest Gleason, 7.30 p.m. All you got to do, you wear a red shirt, uh, you get on in, and you'll uh, be automatically entered to win a uh, pass for two to the KUFO Portland premiere of Star Trek which is Saturday, May 2nd. Uh, so you'll be hearing more about that. And you can always find out more details at KUFO.com, ladies and gentlemen. At the news desk, it's your personal savior, Tim Riley. In the news with Tim Riley. The accused Craigslist killer's fiance says he's innocent. She called him a beautiful person inside and out. Well, we'll see. Uh, his name is uh, Philip Markov. And she said he would not hurt a fly. Please tell me that there are wedding photos or there's an announcement or there's some sort of an engagement uh, notice that's been run somewhere. You're from Boston. Where would this sort of thing normally run? Boston, Boston Globe. The Boston Globe. Is that still around? Uh, so far today. I mean, I guess we should check later on. The, the, I, the, you could probably pick uh, any any newspaper, like maybe the New York Times, Washington Post, and that would be the Abe Vigoda of the journalism world, where mm-hmm. one... One really almost needs to install a little Java applet on your desktop to let you know uh, when those things have uh, gone away. This uh, fellow's former college roommate doesn't believe it. I just saw one picture, and it didn't take more than that. Uh, just it was the, the shock that really got to me. I mean, it, it was him. Wow, that guy is uh, that guy's a full-on voice number three. You really you never think that somebody that you were this close friends with would would do something so horrible, and then you'd think at least, at least if it was going to happen, there would be some indication, but there is none. Shiny, a slang term for great use in the television series Firefly and the movie Serenity. That's fantastic. Excellent. Here's Tim Riley. Time for a monkey watch. Here's your monkey Yay. watch for Tuesday on The Rick Emerson Show. <laughs> Salem police are still on the lookout for a man and his monkey. He's going to be out there somewhere. He can't stay in the house all this time. Police are looking for him. Salem is not a very large place. It seems you, like you would know if somebody had a monkey. A finite number of places. Well, that see, I hadn't even really thought about that. I was just thinking if he was like laminate somewhere. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, if he, if he and the monkey were on the run, sort of Jay and Silent Bob style. That, I mean, how many places could there possibly be to be to check? But also, you pointed uh, you pointed out something uh, very intelligent just now, which is that you like. Everybody, like, in a town like Salem, it seems like everybody knows the comings and goings and the happenings of everybody else wouldn't in Wouldn't he be walking the monkey at some point? Well, wouldn't you say, like, where, you know, where's Ted? Who, what Ted? With Ted with the monkey. Oh, that Ted. He's right over there. So, well, all right. So, uh, police are confident the man and his monkey who was wearing a diaper, I guess the monkey was wearing the diaper, would be found. <laughs> but even if the man was wearing, he'd be easy to find. A uh, little girl is taking antibiotics after being bitten by a monkey. The man and the monkey were on the park bench. A crowd gathered, as any crowd would, seeing a man with a monkey. They asked the man if she could pet his monkey. And the monkey became agitated, jumped at her. The girl has cuts to her eye. Uh, let's see here. As soon as I pulled her hair back and saw the blood around her eye, it was in her eyelash. His eye flipped out, said someone named Steve. He said, my monkey doesn't like girls. It's not his fault. And that's all he said. The monkey was uh, biting on the guy, drawing blood on the guy, too. So the monkey bit the guy. I'm so confused. First of all... Have you seen a picture of the girl with her eye all scratched up? No, I'm still back on my monkey doesn't like girls. Um, What does your monkey like, Steve? Or is Steve the guy who owns the monkey? Steve is the... uh, They don't know who owns the monkey. Steve is a a different person. So wait, so so there's no uh, clue at all as to the identity of the guy. The monkey man. So they're not even sure if he lives in Salem. No. He could have been on his. Uh, he could have been on his way to, uh, you know, to Mazatlan for all we know. All right. So, did they? Who is Steve then? In Somebody this story? was interviewed. 
Uh, let's see. Is, is he the girl's one of father? The parents uh, of the girl? He is, he, is, he is the girl's father. The girl's right, name is okay. Serena Taylor. Did they ask Steve why he let his daughter uh, go up and talk to a strange man with a monkey? No, it's always somebody else's fault. Of course, it's never the fault. It's, it's the world's problem to take care of other people's children. We have to <laughs> safety-proof all of existence because you can't keep your kid away from some guy's monkey. Of all the things that this little girl should pet would be... The man's monkey. Seriously. Don't ever pet a strange man's monkey. Maybe we should uh, repeat the earlier story about not letting your kids fall out of windows this summer just for the benefit of Steve. We want to remind people not to do that because people are opening their windows because it's hot and kids are falling out windows. No, but that's the fault of the windows, Tim. It's never the fault of parents ever. Get your child out of his bedroom where the open window is and take him to pet a monkey. Exactly. All right. That's the uh, monkey watch. There's your monkey watch for Tuesday. Here's Tim Riley, ladies and gentlemen. Pandemonium on the backs yesterday as the train traveling westbound derailed at Southwest 11th and Morrison during rush hour. Happened around 4 o'clock. The train passed over a track switch and its front wheels lifted off the rail. These derailments are rare. As many as 200 people were on the train, they were all moved to shuttle buses and crews were working to put the train back on the tracks. Rush hour disruptions uh, continued for a couple of hours or so. I got That's freaky. Three things to say about that. One is, first of all, it happens at the first really hot snap of the year yep. or whatever it is. You can, I guess it's a cold snap. It's a hot hot something. What is it? If it's a cold snap, what is it when it's hot? A hot. heat wave. Heat wave. There the first heat wave of the year. It's not a heat snap. No, it's not. Yeah. Uh, the heat snap sounds like some sort of... Heat snap sounds like one of those instant warmth products that they would sell you at like uh, Columbia you know, or like REI or something that you would like put in your pockets to stave off uh, frostbite. So it happens... It Was this afternoon rush hour? Yes, it was. Oh, it's fantastic. So everybody's on the max. Uh, you know, it's just hot and smells like ass anyway. Uh, and then, oh, hey, we've derailed. And also... So, do you remember that story where it was like a bus got hit by one of the Max trains last year? Was it yeah. last summer that a train hit a bus downtown? And I, I was it just, was. I mean, not that you're glad that those things happen, but I was just, I was so disappointed I didn't get to see it because, and I think I was here when it hit the news. Uh, it was a train has hit a bus downtown, and I immediately got in my car like everyone else. I have to go see it, and I was going to go take a photo of it, and they'd already cleaned it up. It was sort of disappointing, but impressive all at once. Also, uh, my my final statement on this is. Do you ever look at those uh, those train tracks where it, it switches? In other words, where there's part of the train track that is curved, and a guy throws a switch somewhere, and it goes chunk, and it moves over like on your train track when yes. you were a kid. And you ever look at that, and you have no idea how that works? Like you're not sure how it works without the train. Oh, the shifting thing where it goes from one track to yeah, the it's other. It's like part of the track is movable, mm-hmm. and so there's the you know. So in other words, there's like a fork in the road basically, and there's a section of movable track where a guy throws a switch or pushes a button, and that part of the track moves like five feet over to the right and snaps into the secondary track line. And I look at that and I think to myself, how does that work? Like, how does the train know to follow that new uh, set of tracks and not just go straight on ahead? Because you would think the the inertia, the momentum, would be enough mm-hmm. that it would derail. Trains are sort of, I mean, even now, like, whatever, 200 years after their creation, trains are kind of uh, mystifying to me. And a little terrifying, because, you know, the stopping distance on those things is like a mile. Or yes. Whatever. Well, is it true that, can it be derailed by, like, a penny? Because that always freaked me out about them, too. No, Mythbusters did a whole thing about that. How about uh, a banana peel? I don't believe so, Tim. But I don't think they've done the slipping on a banana peel thing. Maybe they that have. That could have happened here. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah. This could have been a case of that. It's entirely possible. The I And here's the other reason I know that you can't derail a, a train with a penny. Because, well, I did not do this. My older sister, uh, who in her day was not terribly bright, uh, it, it used to go down to, there was a train uh, trestle by her house. And she would go up there sort of stand by me style and, like an idiot, uh, put pennies on the tracks. Which just seems... Re- I, 
one of those things that it's amazing that she wasn't killed like a hundred times over. Because why would you do that? And the answer is you could do it with a log. What? But I know that works because I was on the train with that happened. We're not suggesting that people use logs to derail. I, you, I, I, you I, I was just a, relating a personal anecdote. You can derail a train with a log. So you're not just drawing up a list of things that people can use to derail trains. No. Bowling ball. A brick. Um, bucket of cement. All right, let's stop this. It's an old shoe. The Rick Emerson Show continues next. Coming up uh, later on, we will have Dawn Taylor from Cinematical. Also, Brett Michaels plus uh, Katie Darrell from TMZ.com, ladies and gentlemen. It's the Rick Emerson Show on Rock 101 KUFO. The Rick Emerson Show continues next. Right across his posterior. On Rock 101 KUFO. Show it's Rock 101 KUFO. Good morning to you. Coming up later on, Katie Darrell from TMZ.com, ladies and gentlemen. I have a couple of brief things here before we uh, find out what else is going on in your world today. Uh, let's see. I got uh, one follow-up, one idea, one anecdote. What should we do first? We'll just do the idea. I wrote this down at 3.54 p.m. Uh, somebody out there, you can just, uh, this is one of those ideas. I'm not going to ask for any uh, royalties on this. You can just have this just because I think it's interesting. There should be an art exhibit that is just the final Facebook status entries of now deceased people. There you go. Mm. Right there. That's so creepy, that premise. Like, I have um, a couple of friends, you know, who have died, and they have, like, their their MySpace pages are still there. And, like, their last quotes are, like, things, and, like, their sign-in date is still, you know... Last day they were alive. Well, it's like the uh, – this is an odd comparison, but it's like when that uh, – what's it? When, it? when Cloverfield was coming out and they were doing that viral marketing thing. Oh, that was so cool. It was like all the Cloverfield characters, their MySpace pages was like, here are rumbling outside, going to inspect. And then like, never updated again. And they and they all logged in uh, that last day. Right. And so and I think especially because with the Facebook thing, uh, with the Facebook status uh, update, they would all sort of – I mean, I think everything has it would be filtered through a strange sort of prism. And so it doesn't, you know, strange tingling in left leg, going to doctor. Or, you know, looking forward to last day before retirement tomorrow to go back home, spend time with girls stateside or whatever. Everything kind of gets shot through with that, that weird uh, retrospective, whatever. So that is an art exhibit that somebody ought to do right now. That's uh, that's a, And that's the sort of thing that somebody could uh, it do, and then it gets lots of media attention because it's like five different things filtered together, and then it gets exhibited in like the parole room at Powell's or something. So that's a, that's a free notion for me to you. Second, uh, this is just before we get to Tim saying that his uh, train... It wasn't you that derailed the train with a log, was it? No, I was on the train. You were on the train. I so, couldn't do both at once, This wasn't if I, I wanted to. I'm just <laughs> saying, I didn't really know the ins and outs of the story. This isn't a thing that you as a child decided would be fun for hijinks. No, no, no. I didn't do that type of thing. All right. So before you tell the uh, the train the, uh, derailing story, I guess the train on which uh, you were riding when it was derailed, I'll right. just say this. So we're not. you're not the only one sort of uh, contributing a, a youthful anecdote. Back on that Vancouver thing where apparently they just found some lake, Lake Vancouver, where they were just running raw sewage into it. I mean, for, my other thing is, how would that even happen from the ecology building? Because it's not like they're talking about uh, there was like a... Um, Remember last week, too, we had the, the chicken sludge story when that was going into the water also. See, but that's almost that's almost more explainable because you figure... The secret sludge pipeline. Because you figure that it, you know, like a chicken rendering plant is maybe not... Uh, maybe the, the, the figuring out exactly how to make everything, uh, you know, copacetic in terms of uh, smell is like not job one or something. So, I mean, where does this pipe go? I don't know. It's as long as it's not in here. And then they're running it out the back. 
And then it just ends up, uh, you know, being run right into children's drinking water or something. But the Department of Ecology, A, you figure this is sort of their bailiwick trying to keep sewage out of Lake Vancouver. And B, it's not like it, it's just like a, you know, like a bucket of toxic waste or something that got misplaced in a closet or something like a pipe that takes sewage from, you know, your toilet to its place of disposal. You have to install the pipe. Like a guy has to come in and he has to bid on the job. He has to get the job. They have to dig up the ground. They have to attach the pipe to the toilet. They have to run the pipe out back. And then at some point, the guy has to say, all right, now, once the sewage has left the toilet and it goes into this pipe, where do we want it to go? And then somebody has to say, well, right into Lake Vancouver, Bob. And he says, are you sure? And he says, yes. He goes, well, all right, then. And, you know, and then he runs the sewage into the lake and then they all go home. So well, somebody somebody thought this is a great place for a cesspool. <laughs> no one will ever find it here, and that was in fact true for like ten years. So if you've been swimming in Lake Vancouver, woe unto you. Wash your hair. That <laughs> that's probably good advice if you're in Vancouver. Uh, anyway, the just don't wash your hair with anything from that lake or that's ever been near that lake or that might have touched anything in that lake. When I was growing up in Kennewick, there was in fact a man-made lagoon that was in Columbia Park. And Columbia Park is this just I mean, they call it a park, but it really is just, it's just this vast expanse of dirt and yellow depressing grass. It's a shrub. I mean, it's really, I mean, it's just nothing but crabgrass and weeds and like little things that, like a little sort of tack brush that stabs your feet when you're walking around. But they were, this is one of those times when Reagan was in, uh, you know, the White House and so the nuclear industry was booming and they decided that Kennewick was, Kennewick needed a makeover to be like one of them big city towns. And to to the city father's way of thinking, the whole way that you were going to accomplish this was by taking this park, which was down on the on the bank of the Columbia River, and they were going to revitalize that, and that was going to be the the, the the gleaming jewel in the heart of the city. And the gleaming jewel in the heart of the park was going to be a lagoon where you could go and you could bring your family for a whole day's fun under the blazing Kennewick sun. All of which would have been, I think, a great idea. Had the lagoon not had this particular warm undercurrent, which they then discovered was because, yes, raw sewage pouring right into it. And that's what I'm, see, and that wasn't like a previously existing body of water where like a pipe broke somewhere and was filtering into the lagoon. Like, like the, the, the Kennewick Sewage Company, like that was, that was the end. Like that was the, that was the last stop on the line. Where does this go to? Sewage treatment plant? Does it go to some sort of a wastewater facility? No, it just goes right into that swimming pool over there. It's fantastic. And I, I guess that was like their low-cost solution. And, of course, everyone swam in it for like five, six, seven, eight, nine years, often remarking on how strangely warm the water <laughs> seemed to be. And then later on, yes, it's waste. Tim Riley, you were on a train uh, that derailed because someone had put a log on the tracks, but not you. You were not right. the person. Right. I, I was it. just riding on the train. I wasn't supposed to be on the train. I had skipped school to go to Boston to take care of some business. And uh, how old were you at this time? Fifteen. What business were? <laughs> were you whacking a guy? I don't understand. No, uh, like, no I, I was going to. Uh, Knuckles and I were going up to settle a business dispute in Boston. I was going to Boston to the FCC office to take a test to get a license to do this because back then you had to be at least 15 years old, which is weird because you can't technically work till you're 16, but you can get a license for this when you're 15. So you had to work. get a radio broadcast license. I had to take a test. Which yes, is a thing then. you used to have to do. They used to, used to be that they uh, they didn't let just anybody on the radio. No. Now, of course, they don't let anybody on the radio yeah, at all. At all. <laughs> uh, but, uh, but so you were taking the train to Boston so you could take the radio license test. Right. And I was coming home, and the train derailed, caused by, well, I found out later, a log. And 
because it was on TV. So as I was getting off the train, I noticed the Channel 5 action cam was there. This is back in the days when they first started having live on the scene things in the late 70s. And uh, my parents saw me on TV after I told them that I was in school getting up the train. That's fantastic. <laughs> and was there Live. A- the Channel 5 action cam sounds like something from Anchorman. Yeah, yeah it, it does. Hey, like it Kent- been around that time. Yeah. And mm-hmm. Kent Brockman is sort of circling uh, above looking down. Oh, by the way, and this is speaking of, 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 of news and Kent Brockman. So the one thing in retrospect, because uh, we had the uh, this interview with Harry Shearer and we're going to be playing part two of that today. Uh, part one, uh, is in yesterday's podcast, the podcast for Monday. And then, uh, part three concludes, uh, the whole thing. And then we're going to put the entire uncut, cause even chopping it into three parts, there's just stuff we're not going to get to in this because it was just, I was like 35 or 40 minutes and I talked to that guy and it was, you know, yeah. are you going to put the whole thing online? Yeah. It'll all be put up as one, uh, big file at the end of this week, but we're going to play part two today. Yesterday was all, uh, Harry Shearer talking about spinal tap today. He's. I was going to say today is all Simpsons, and I guess it is true, but he didn't even, I mean, it's like eight, nine minutes long, and we didn't even finish it. So today will be Simpsons, tomorrow will be more of him talking about the Simpsons, and then his kind of career in general. But uh, the one thing I regret during that interview, because he did a little bit of, he demonstrates how he does Reverend Lovejoy's voice, and I think, if I remember correctly today, we'll hear him demonstrate how he came up with Principal Skinner's voice. Our friend Chris Sneathan emailed me about this. The one thing I'm just kicking myself for, because I didn't want to have him, I, I didn't want to the thing of like, you know, sit in front of a microphone, do station IDs and a funny voice, funny man. Come on, make, talk like a cartoon, do it now. Uh, I do wish that I had had him introduce you, Tim, as Kent Brockman, where, you know, is where you were like Kent Brockman from the Springfield terrific. News throws it to you. Next time he's in town, I'm completely going to have him cut an intro for you in the voice of Kent Brockman. So just it, it, it's FYI. That is something to look forward to. All right, ladies and gentlemen. It's 503-733-2970. Straight ahead, we will have news with Tim Riley. Uh, later on, Katie Darrell from TMZ, Don Taylor from Cinematical. It's the Rick Emerson Show. It's Rock 101, KUFO. It is the Rick Emerson Show. It's Rock 101 KUFO. Good morning to you. It is Tuesday. It's 503-733-2970. Coming up later on, Don Taylor from Cinematical, Katie Darrell from TMZ, uh, Brett Michaels, and a copy of American Swing on DVD we'll be giving away at uh, some point. Ladies and gentlemen, at the news desk, this is Tim Riley. In the news with Tim Riley. Oh, this is very bad. Portland's jobless rate spikes to over 11%. Now, the last time they checked, it was 9.6% statewide. It's 2.1%, slightly behind Michigan, so that's not good at all. Vandals spray-painted the sign at the Bikini Coffee Company in Salem. An employee of the coffee stand showed up for work Sunday and discovered the graffiti. It reads, don't use my body to sell your coffee. Who is it that... Was it? I don't even model. Under- I don't understand. I don't either. But, but I mean, like, like, even in the world of the of the Vandals, who is... Supposed to be saying, like, from probably someone with not a very attractive body, I would like imagine. Like, from what perspective? That, that's, that's usually it. it was, there's, there's several different things happening here. Yes, A, from what perspective is that supposed to be coming? Is it, in other words, is that some embittered, uh, un, undoubtedly, um, portly person yes, who I is would speaking so. on behalf of the hot girls who are selling coffee? Yes, that's usually the way that happens. I know she's speaking I mean, other, other hot girls aren't spray-painting these things. No, 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 they're not, Tim. They're busy being ogled. Well, mm-hmm. I think I speak for everybody here when I say, uh, get bent, uh, whoever you are. So, uh, And oh. people continue to use their bodies to, sh- to sell your coffee. I'm, spelled Y-R. Is that how it's spelled? Yes. Really? <laughs> 
I guess they had to conserve paint because they had to make it all the way through coffee. What is the what? What is the is, is this it called a, YR coffee? Yes. Is it a it, was it a question of the amount of paint they had to work with, I or was it a question so. of space? It might be space. Do you have a photo? Yeah, I do. Hold on, let me look at the. Uh, it's it's kind of hard to make out. I don't even see that. It, it's oh, a, it's on. It's on the side. Well, this is just badly done graffiti in like a hundred different ways. Yes. Because they've written it, they've drawn it right on the sign, ignoring like the big blank white space all around it. That's someone who really needs to, uh, they're no Michael Fay, Tim. That's, uh, whoever did that really needs to, uh, they need to learn a thing or two about the, about public defacing. Also, uh, it, it, I mean, that's the one in Salem, right? Yes. So as opposed to, I mean, I mean, I mean, that's probably the most pleasant thing to look at in Salem besides that monkey, if anyone can find it. <laughs> it's a it's a bright spot in an otherwise dull and lackluster, if not downright aesthetically horrifying place. I was simply, simply going to note as a final observation here that if I'm not advocating vandalism, just like or we're not coffee. and we're, we're not advocating that you put things, uh, you know, down to derail trains either or that you, uh, you know, steal money from banks or any of these things. But if one is already sort of on the way to doing that, if one cannot be dissuaded, it just seems like at least a quality job of, of graffiti. First of all, don't spray paint the, the one in, in Salem because nobody sees that. Really, I mean, and in Salem, as, as you just pointed out, there's really uh, so little in that town, I think, that qualifies as beautiful that uh, that's a, you know, that's a business that's needed. It's necessary. Right. That is part of Salem's uh, stimulus, I would imagine. All right. The number of fat people is being blamed for global warming. Scientists warn the increase in big eaters means more food production, a major cause of CO2 gas emissions warming the planet. Overweight people are more likely to drive, adding to environmental damage. Uh, each fat person is said to be responsible for emitting a ton of more climate-warming carbon dioxide than a thin person. That does make sense. That means an extra billion tons of CO2 a year is created. Scientists say providing extra grub for them to guzzle uh, contributes to the killing of our environment. Does it really? Does it really say providing grub for them to guzzle? Yes, yes it does. Is we, have the, Amer- we have the sun to thank for this. I was just going to say, is this an American newspaper? It isn't. You know, American newspapers could learn a thing or two about journalism from our, our friends across the uh, across the seas. But, but, but it was interesting that uh, this paper was showing street scenes from the seventies as compared to street scenes today. Where everybody apparently was thin in the 1970s. Is there the obligatory photo of a fat ass walking by? Not anything. It's mean, nothing above the waist. Oh, it's, just more, the ass. Ass. it's more than just that part of the body. Oh wow! That's I, I mean, a- it, I mean, it's something. I mean, it looks like a russet potato with legs. <laughs> and wearing a jacket. Um, I'm on my way to get some chips. Mm. And you just hear the shoes screaming with every step. No, it's not just Americans; it's Europe too. Well, that's because we're exporting our uh, our culinary culture, culture to the yes. to every corner of the. I mean, who did I hear the other day? It was Joe Biden or somebody saying that like Americans have got to come up with something we can export instead of just import. And we we do export things, uh, and people sort of turn up their nose at the stuff that we export. That, that to people in America, that is, people in the rest of the world can't get enough of what we uh, send out uh, to all manner of countries. And those things are culture and food, and typically food that's going to make you huge, uh, just because that's really all we're good at. We've uh, you know we've we perfected the action film. And uh, the hamburger that has three patties, seven slices of cheese, and then a layering of pastrami over the top. And that is what makes us a great nation. Then there was a fellow who was working out in the yard and accidentally hit a swarm of bees. They attacked me like a bunch of mad wolves. I was mowing the lawn, <laughs> and I just bumped into that into the, the uh, hive or whatever you call it, and it just exploded. I thought I was going to die. Because they, they, they were like rabbit animals. Yes, these bees are like rabbit animals. All my, 
on my face, my eyes, my nose, in my nose. My thinking center. My, my lips. My speechifying area. On the sides, everywhere. If the ambulance didn't come and they, the person didn't scrub me to the water, I would have I died. <laughs> they also attacked the part of my brain that's responsible for coordinating <laughs> my mental and verbal acuity. Something fierce. Rabbit. What? Let's go back to the beginning. He says, first of all, he refers to it as being a hide of bees. <laughs> A hide or something. Where, where was this at? It was in the tree in his backyard in no, Florida. I, okay. What, was it really in Florida? <laughs> Damn it. Oh, oh, I had no I idea. Wait. That was on oh, me. That was totally you didn't even get out of the gate You know what? Because right I put Katie's um, theme really? in there now and so it moved the buttons around. You know, it's a poor workman who blames your tools, Sarah. Uh, so let's see. It's a hide of bees. Yes. They. There was something else he said that didn't make any sense. There was oh, uh, a pack of wolves. Yeah. Not actually with a V. A pack of wolves. Hold on. There was, and there was some third, some third stick. Can we just play that whole first They attacked again? me like a bunch of mad wolves. I was mowing the lawn, and I just bumped into that, the, the uh, hive or whatever you call it. <laughs> and I just exploded. I thought I was going to die. Because they would, they would, they would like rabbit animals. That, that is fantastic. Really? Yes, really. really? Yeah. They're really just, truly. they're just like they rabbit like animals. They were like rabbit animals. <laughs> exactly. There is no difference between bees and rabbit animals at all. <laughs> That's my America. Well, we should just, we, a beehive. Charles Carrollt will be on his way to interview that guy any, any day now. I mean, maybe, like rabbit animals. maybe not Charles Carrollt as such. Uh, rabbit flying animals. Can, can you, but, but we might as well close it out by playing that second cut again. Can you, uh, yep. this is the second half of that same bee, bee story. On my face, my eyes, my nose, in my nose, my my lips, my lips were all on the sides, everywhere. If the ambulance didn't come and they, the person didn't scrub me to the water, I would have I would have died. If the if the animals didn't come, the yes. ambulance. Oh, the ambulance. Yeah. Okay. It sounded like the ambulance scrubbed him with water. Like so they didn't ambulance. come and scrub him with water. How do you scrub somebody with water? <laughs> I want somebody to demonstrate right now scrubbing someone. With water. Well, if you go to Lake Vancouver, I'm sure you get a good scrubbing by just swimming. Yes. Yes, you could, Tim. I mean, really, unless one is deep in the Antarctic, I uh, I don't believe that water is a thing with which you can scrub. I think you could probably rinse someone, but that's just a... It's a fine distinction, I would imagine. All right. Does it say how they got rid of the bees? A uh, passerby, he was flailing in his yard, and a passerby <laughs> came and grabbed a hose and sprayed the bee off him. I'm, I'm sorry, After I, he hit the hide... And, <laughs> Which and they behaved with like a, a pack of wild animals. Wolves, Tim. Specifically, it was a pack of wolves. They attacked me like a bunch of mad wolves. That's wonderful. The, <laughs> are you in your mind's eye just picturing sort of the neighbor driving by? And in my head, he's driving an ice cream truck for some reason. I don't know why. But he's sort of motoring down the street. And he just sort of a, ah, off. And he look over, and the guy is just sort of a little blur of activity on the ground being swarmed by the rabid mad, oh, my, mad wolf my bees. Face, my eyes, my nose. All right, that's uh, that's fantastic. Uh, let's do uh, one more here, and then we will uh, get caught up on things. Well, uh, Mayor Adams has reconsidered demolishing Memorial Coliseum because people are complaining. They want to save this thing, although it's kind of ugly. And it looks like something from the 60s, kind of like from the Brady Bunch era. They're going to tear it down to build a baseball field there, but now they're not. So now they have to find another place. And now they're just going to be wrestling with what to do with this empty building to make some people happy. Can we either, can we just, this is like the, the, the Cesar Chavez thing, which you were, which you sort of teased today, but you haven't followed up on that. Well, as a matter of fact, now they want to name. 39th Avenue after Cesar Chavez. So that that should be fine. Give him something. So wait, keep wait. everyone quiet. So 39th uh, Avenue. Avenue. Yeah. Wait, is that is that is, is that's that an exit off uh, I-84? 
Do you ever get Avenue and Place and Street and Boulevard and That's Lane confused? Avenue. That's but, the main one. But uh, let me ask you this question: Why? And I mean, I'm asking this sincerely. This is not one of those things where I'm just, uh, you know, where I'm sort of, you know, why do the Howells have so much luggage for three hours on a boat? This, I really am curious about this. Why does the city seem to enable this? Con- I got two things to ask. One, what is up with some of these intersections where the street is only on one side of the street sign and the other side is blank? What is up with that? It's where like, is that? It's, 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 you know, I'm glad you asked him because Greg Raisman from the Portland Bureau of Transportation, when he was on Outlook Pro, uh, Portland, a fine uh, television program that I host on the weekends, yes. he disputed that that's even the case. Uh, he, Did he call you a liar he, on television? He just, no, he said he'd never seen it because I said, what is up with this thing in southeast Portland where occasionally you go to an intersection, you're trying to figure out what street you're on, and the little street sign that says, like, Lovejoy Avenue, it's like the sign is only labeled on one yep. half and the other side is blank. But he disputed. He's like, I don't think that's the case. And the and uh, a woman named Henrietta, who's one of the camera people, she actually uh, – she couldn't say anything because we were taping. She, we were filming at the time. But she actually nodded her head and she kind of gave like a thumbs up sort of to indicate that that is the case. In southeast Portland, I don't know if it's like a cost-cutting measure or it's some like absurd – uh, production error that they just never bothered to fix, but there are street signs that are only labeled on one side, and That's it's never the side you're looking at, mm-hmm. ever. It is always the side that you can't see. That what, it's a, what, what street is labeled like that? I don't know. So know. You know why I don't know? Because you're on the right. Why don't you go? Because it's not labeled. Look at the other side of the sign. But, 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 but then I have to stop the car and get out of the car and walk down the street and look at the other side of the sign to see where I am. And it seems like that's a thing that contributes to uh, uh, lack of safety. Then if, the people who, if people don't want to let you know where you are, then you shouldn't be there. Anyway. It okay. didn't make any sense. No, no, it didn't. But you know what? It's <laughs> fine. I knew what you were saying, though. I understand. Uh, no, so, uh, all right. When we get back, I have more observations to make about th- that. Then we should find out what the street is that won't tell you where it is. Are we going to talk about blind stops next all, all in southeast Portland. Where no, I no did. Stop signs. I did ask him about that, and they had they had an explanation for it, which sounded a lot like we don't want to pay for stop signs in southeast Portland. I'm not saying that's the case. That's just my interpretation. And my gardeners are doing a sloppy job too. Times are hard, Tim. <laughs> I went and dumped my own yard work Sunday. Plumage of my peacocks is not quite as vibrant as it ought to be. Tim Riley demands changes to our economic and social structure right now. It's the Rick Emerson Show, Rock 101 KUFO. One-stop shopping for all your cult-like devotion. Nazis have boobs, too. RickEmerson.com It's the Rick Emerson Show. It's Rock 101 KUFO. Thank you for coming by. It is Tuesday morning. It's 503 733 2970, ladies and gentle people. Don't forget, uh, coming up Saturday, May 2nd, is the uh, KUFO Portland premiere of Star Trek, the J.J. Uh, Abrams reboot of uh, the franchise, which looks uh, fantastic, by the way. And I wasn't it does really, look so amazing. And what sold me on it was that second trailer, because the front, like the teasers and just the whole notion. The one that we watched I was, over here? Um, when Aaron was in the studio? I think that, no, that's the third one. That's a, that's a okay. whole, see, that's a separate one that is just, that's kind of McCoy-centric, where it has that kind of, it's that sequence that looks a lot like the sequence in Aliens, where they're getting ready to drop onto the uh, planet and, and uh, you know, and and uh, what's his name is having to say, wake up, Hicks. The, this trailer that I'm talking about is the, um, it's the two and a half minute trailer that came out about six weeks ago, and it has that great shot of the planet imploding, that shot from space. 
But it just, anyway, it, it looks it, righteous. And so KUFO is going to be presenting the Portland premiere of Star Trek Saturday, May 2nd. And that is five, five, five days uh, before, you know, the commoners get to see the film. So you might be asking yourself, how can I get tickets to this Star Trek premiere? The answer is, you got to be at the mission this Thursday. This Thursday at the Mission, which is at 16th and Gleason in Northwest, uh, that is for KUFO's Rockin' the Red Shirts event. Now, admi- admission is free. Got to be 21. But admission is free. You wear a red shirt, and that's it. You show up, you wear a red shirt, and you're going to be entered to win a pass for two to the KUFO Portland premiere of Star Trek, uh, Saturday, May 2nd. So that is this Thursday at the Mission, 16th and Gleason. You show up in a red shirt, B-21, and you're uh, entered to win a pair of passes. And, of course, uh, entertainment for the night going to be provided by uh, all of us here at KUFO, as well as uh, Portland's only Klingon metal band, Stovacor. So that will be coming up We're very this entertaining. Thursday. They really are. So in myriad ways. So uh, everybody ought to be there uh, this Thursday for that. Coming up later on in the hour, uh, TMZ.com's Katie Darrell will join us, and Don Taylor will be uh, stepping in in just one moment. Working on the following headlines on this Tuesday morning is Tim Riley. General Motors spent $2.8 million of your bailout money lobbying Congress. Portland's jobless rate rises to over 11%. A Gresham shoplifter is caught in the act for the 30th time. Salem police still on the lookout for that missing man and his monkey. 39th Avenue may be named after Cesar Chavez. A swarm of bees almost kills a Florida man. We already talked to him, but we'll talk to him again. And one out of ten American children is addicted to video games. And by the way, the bee guy in Florida, and somebody notes here that the bee guy, he says, Rick, I picture him looking like the crazy old man on the bike in Friday the 13th, the guy who gets killed early in the film. You know, sort of gray and scruffy and stinking of booze and crazy. He's the guy that says, uh, there's a curse on that camp. You're all doomed. And that guy does sound a lot. But now, see, in retrospect, I almost feel bad because I think his, his problem with um, his rather elastic approach to uh, pronunciation it seems to maybe stem from the fact that he was st- stung repeatedly on the face by thousands of bees, which I they should be able to... like a bunch of mad wolves. <laughs> I was rolling the lawn, and I just bumped into that, into the, the uh, hive or whatever you call it, and it just exploded. I thought I was gonna die, because they would, they were, they were like rabbit animals. No, I take it back. He, he <laughs> that's gold. It just keeps getting better and better. He you just bet. doesn't know which words to use. I, I was wrong about that. I was trying to, trying to cut him some slack. When the words get in the way. That's right, Tim. Uh, when words not only uh, hurt and harm, uh, but they are in fact uh, completely mystifying to you. Let's welcome now to the Rick Emerson Show from Cinematical Don Taylor, uh, film rev- reviewist extraordinaire. Hello, how are you today? I'm fine. I'm good. Not uh, not being stung by a hide of bees. <laughs> the, and, and that he not refers to it bees. as a hide or, quote, whatever you call it. Uh, as they were like rabbit wolves. <laughs> and that's wolves, the other thing. Is not he, wolves, wolves. He doesn't just say wolves. He says rabbit. Yes. And he actually <laughs> repeats wolves. it. And that's not like a one-time deviation from the accepted uh, use of, that, of the word. He actually says it twice in that he says, no, 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 they were all, they were rabbit and just swarming around me. Which is uh, which is fantastic, and does it seem like bees only ever go after guys like that? We've never had a bee attack story. It's like they can just smell nutty somehow, because they've never, like you never hear about like Warren Buffett being set upon by bees. It's sort of if like only. I mean, a boy can dream, but they always just go after like that guy and his uh, you know and his many 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 cousins who are spread all across the country sort of like the aliens that come down and they just pick up some yokel and they give him a good jabby probing and then spray him with booze and drop him off in a field somewhere so 
Anyway. Hey, well, let me ask you this, Don Taylor. Oh. Now, I don't know where, what part of town do you live in? I am currently living out in the six. I live in Tualatin now. No, oh, I really? see. Really? No. Ah. Oh, oh I'm, I'm sorry. Tim and I have talked about this. The suburbs rock. The suburbs are That's awesome. exactly that like what the they most, do. like soccer mom thing I've ever wow. heard you say. The suburbs are Who I, says that? I would never have said this until I moved out there, but it's like it's quiet, it smells better. Uh I have everything. Well, that I does need. sound rocking. Wow. And in Tualatin, I'm only like, like 15, 10 or 15 minutes from downtown. It's it's really not that bad. It's I, I have to say. I'm, yeah, from Gresham, you're only 10 or 15 minutes from downtown. Tualatin, so. I believe Tualatin's uh, official city motto is uh, closer than you think it actually is. So that's just sad. Closer than you think to what? To Portland. That's not really their city motto. But I mean, that's, that's what I think their city I think that tells you, by the way, what we need to know. Actually they are, closer than you think it is. So the selling point is referencing another city. <laughs> the proximity to a better to a better place. <laughs> right. but, but, but see, the good part about it is, even though in addition Tualatin to the rocking, it's closer, the, the people who live outside of Tualatin say, it's just not close enough. I will never go there. Therefore, you get to live in peace and quiet because people exactly. feel that way. Well, now, yes. see, I can almost get with that. See, it, that's it, yeah, just I don't even know where Tualatin is. Psychological effect. Well, because it, this is it, this is actually a really fair point that you bring up because I, the only time, I mean, I've been here since 1998, so I've been at 11 years. The only time that I ever consciously said to myself, now I'm getting in the car and I'm driving to Tualatin was in night. I can even tell you what year it was. It was in the year. <laughs> It was in uh, 2000 because uh, I was working on a project with a guy who lived out there. And he's like, well, I live out in Tualatin. And I said, where's that? And he goes, well, I'll give you the address or whatever. And it was before the GPS. So I was like, I was all kinds of hosed. I had to print out like the MapQuest thing that like whatever. And it just seemed like it was just a, an agonizing eternity to get there. Now, I'm sure that I had been to Tualatin many hundreds of times since then or certainly many dozens of times, but never consciously. Like that was the... But because that time I actually sat down and got the directions and printed them out... It seemed like it was just a billion miles away. So in my head, Tualatin is like on the other side of the state, which seems like that maybe that's now the purpose if you're describing it this way. That's so that, the way you describe my neighborhood so as the, being a million miles away. Oh, dude, your neighborhood. I, I, I felt like I had to sort of pull over to the side of the road, uh, like Marion Crane style and just get my, my nap on on the way to the visit because it was. The, I think that's the furthest you have ever traveled away from your house. I mean, I felt like I was in uh, like a wholly separate part of the country where p- things are painted in different colors. And they, they import the air from somewhere else. Yeah, I've never seen your house, Tim, but I've seen like the pictures Here's, during the fall and like the snow and stuff. That was beautiful. Let me describe what Tim's neighborhood looks like. Tim's neighborhood looks like one of two things: either a that little uh, that little uh, cardboard and paper mache neighborhood at the beginning of Mister Rogers' uh, show, where it's like the cameras, you know, it's scrolling over, and there's like the little uh, the little houses that are painted very pleasing colors, and then the perfectly manicured grass. Like if that neighborhood from the beginning of Mr. Rogers' show was to be made real or or some particularly uh, lush layout that a guy has created to go with his model train set where it's just like the immaculately sculpted uh, grass that is, you know, and then it's just like the Norman Rockwellian uh, streets with the perfect lampposts. That's and that's what, exactly where Tim should be living. I'm just saying that. Well, that's a place where Tim, because uh, you know where Tim should be, because Portland is for mortals, and you know, until so Tim's neighborhood is for is for Tim. Uh, what was my point? Oh, so, uh, but the idea that that it is so far away that then people will not come to bother you. See, I can appreciate that because there was a time when Lara and I almost, we almost moved to Silverton, uh, which is which is itself, uh, I mean, that's like 35, 40 minutes away from here. I mean, and that's with almost no traffic. And the reason was that then I could just be left alone by everybody because I sort of have these, like a lot of people, I have these kind of two warring impulses. And the one is to kind of be 
in the city, as uh, as Bruce Willis's character says in Last Man Standing, uh, you know, when, when night falls, I like concrete underfoot and bright lights overhead. Uh, but on the other hand, I don't really like people at all. I mean, I sort of like cities, but not the people who live in the cities. And if you live in Silverton, you can pretty much rest assured that nobody is ever going to come bother you for anything. I mean, unless, unless it's like a matter of national security, they're never going to come find you because it's like way out there. So I kind of get that. But let's not embarrass ourselves by saying things like the suburbs rock. I Well, I have to say, I never would have... I had a couple of things. I never wanted to live out in the burbs, and I never wanted to live in uh, like a big apartment complex. And we ended up moving there partly because... Well, I had to sell my house because with the economy being what it is, uh, the house was killing us. And so... Um, but yeah, we, this is near where my husband works. And this complex is amazing and gorgeous. And my apartment was recently remodeled. And it's got like granite countertops and I, there's trees and squirrels frolicking about and the complex has a gym and a pool. And it's like, and, and, and I also realized my hipster days are behind me. I don't really go out on the town all that much. Mostly what I need is access to like a nearby Fred Meyer and like a 7-Eleven so I can I buy a, a Viso. I need many, many varieties of frozen yogurt <laughs> and also a place to buy khakis in limitless shades. Yeah. I stay home. I write on my laptop. I watch movies. I occasionally go out to screenings. I could, as long as I'm like, you know, within 10 minutes of where the screenings are, I'm good. Well, I'm see, fine. No, see, I, and I can, get, I can get with you on this uh, on this point, that if I didn't have to leave the house at all, like if I could, if I could have everything just beamed into my living room, which I guess I almost could. Uh, I, you know, it, 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 like if I could do the show from my couch somehow, like Art Bell style, uh, then I guess I would probably not leave my home. So on that, uh, you and I can sort of agree. Um, the idea though, that just like the suburbs rock, that's like when <laughs> Kia, when the, when Kia tried to market uh, that car, was it Kia or was it the, was it the neon? I think it was the neon. Who makes that? It was that it's Dodge, I think, makes the neon. Anyway, there was this, this famous, uh, ad campaign that they did in the mid nineties for the neon where it said, it's like punk rock, but it's a car. And there was oh, a picture of the neon. God. And somebody had like, you know, at the ad agency, they'd taken the photo. And then there was a, a mohawk put on top no, of the car. No, I was going to say like a, they, a fake nose ring or something. It was like a bright light. pink mohawk on top of the car. Everybody looked at this. No, it's like an ad campaign, but it's poorly executed. Um, the, the only reason I bring this up, and I guess it's not an issue because uh, you all <laughs> suburban folk... You get things that are printed on both sides, not like in Southeast, where, and Sarah concurred, and I got several emails about this, that there are street signs where the, the name of the street is only on one side. Now, I was just, I just drove here, and I was looking at the street signs just around here, mm -hmm. like over in Jefferson, and so, right. and there's nothing on, they're, they're only printed on one side, too. What they do, though, is they put them on, like, opposite sides of the street, so there's still one facing you from the opposite side, but there's nothing on the reverse side of, the street sign itself. Yeah, in Southeast, it seems to me, and maybe I'm hallucinating, uh, but it seems like uh, Sarah has had this experience too, where you will find yourself in an intersection and you are desperately trying to figure out what like the cross street no, is. Where you're and you're just like, look... Some of the signs aren't labeled. There aren't any stop signs. Like They can't even afford stop signs in our neighborhood. The best part about that is that it becomes like one of those Hot Wheels tracks you have where you're a kid where you know, it's like two parallel uh, cars. You know, They're sort of racing uh, around the track in the figure eight, but there's always that one section on the Hot Wheels track where, where they cross and there's, you know, and because you play long enough and there's like the 100 to 1 shot that the cars are going to slam into each other. That's what it's like driving through southeast Portland, especially if you are over by like, um, if you're off of Hawthorne, like if you get over to like, uh, like 37th and like Maine or Salmon or Madison, 
you come to all kinds of intersections. Maybe you have to stop. Maybe you don't. Maybe you should yield. Maybe you're supposed to speed through so you get past the danger as, as fast as possible. There doesn't really seem to be any explanation. And it's been that and way for years. if there was years. an explanation, like nobody, like not everyone will ever know it. Yeah. So it, it doesn't matter. I've, I've lived here for almost 20 years and I'm still baffled by the parts of Southeast where you can't figure out where you are. So you have to go around the block and you make a turn and then suddenly you're on like a gravel road with potholes and people have chickens. <laughs> and, and like, how did this happen? It's like how is this going on in the like city? You're, you're in the bug tussle section of Portland that nobody talks about. Yes. You expect to see Granny Clampett come out of her. <laughs> wow. Okay. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, it's the Rick Everson Show. It's Rock 101 KUFO. Straight ahead, we will have more from Don Taylor of Cinematical. Uh, later on, Katie Darrell from TMZ.com. News with Tim Riley and more amusements. It's the Rick Emerson Show, Rock 101 KUFO. It's the Rick Emerson Show on Rock 101 KUFO. Thank you for, uh, thank you for joining us this morning. So now I'm just getting uh, the emails going back and forth. This one just says... Tualatin sucks. I grew up in Tualatin. I no longer live there. I live in Milwaukee. Yes, I chose Milwaukee or Tualatin or over Tualatin. That's how much uh, Tualatin is a place where I want to live. This one says uh, about Southeast Portland. Rick, this is my uh, my point about how in Southeast Portland, a lot of the uh, times on street signs, the name of the street is only on one side, never the side you're looking at, of course. He says, you can read every sign fi- uh, every sign correctly going into Southeast. The reason why you can't read the signs going out of Southeast is you're probably traveling at such a high rate of speed, it wouldn't be safe to read a sign anyway. You don't need to know where you are, Rick. You just need to know that you're heading toward the way out because everyone knows the best view of Southeast Portland is in your rearview mirror. Uh, <laughs> best show ever. That's uh, Steve. I didn't mean to ignite a whole uh, class war or anything. I was just a, It was just an observation. I do have to make this one final note. Uh, Don uh, Taylor from Cinematical is here, and you were uh, noting that you'll get to these places, and it is in Southeast, where, and I think Nibbler even said, like, on 50th or something, like 50th and Woodward, just because you take the wrong turn, and suddenly, you know, it's like you're in the middle of, you know, you expect uh, you expect uh, John Voight and, and Burt Reynolds to, to suddenly sort of appear. But um, you'll get to these places where not only is there, like, the family with the chickens and the family with the goat, where, like, like 10 seconds before it seemed like you were in, uh, like, an actual, uh, uh, like, a finished city, you will hit these roads where they've taken the time to put up a sign that says, unimproved roadway ahead. And that is, when they say unimproved... Uh, and you're like, no crap. Uh, unim- <laughs> like, unimproved means... Yeah, the like, roadway is not improved. Doesn't it say that? But, but, see, that would imply, when they say unimproved roadway, that there was, you know... A roadway, and there really isn't. It's just like an expanse of dirt and potholes and bailing wire everywhere. Yeah, so it's just dirt lot that's kind of the shape of a road, and you're like maneuvering around in your normal car, going. I, I didn't know I needed a four wheel drive to do this, and and the house like on your right has a burnt out trailer in their front yard and little dirty children running around with wooden spoons in their mouths <laughs> exactly the this is that's by the way the neighborhood where the guy when uh when we were doing our door-to-door thank you for listening campaign where the, the, guy with the shotgun on the porch he didn't have a shotgun i mean not that i saw i mean undoubtedly he had many 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 weapons hidden away because of the new administration and all uh but that's the guy who actually answered the door by saying standing on my porch is a good way to get shot and we just terry and i said the Okay, great. Uh, thanks, thanks for listening. And we just got in the, got in the vehicle. And <laughs> was he a listener? I, I don't. I didn't really stay there. We didn't jaw a whole lot about uh, about that. Well, but- I, I have a really good friend who lives out off of Fifty uh, Second over Fifty Second Flavel, that neighborhood. And uh, their dogs uh, dug a hole under the fence to get out, and they didn't know why. And it turned out they wanted to go like a few houses down to see the goats. <laughs> 
and their neighbors actually have like instead of curtains, they have like a a Confederate flag <laughs> hanging in their window. It's all part of life's rich pageant, Don. Um, all right then. Well, moving forward. <laughs> hey, so did you? Uh, I should actually just say that we were uh, talking about this during the break, so I'm not going to feign like really. It's it's coming out. But you told me that Caprica, which is the prequel series to Battlestar Galactica. So the first episode of that is out on DVD today? Yeah. But the, uh, but the series isn't even like airing until 2010, I thought. Right. It's like a year, year and a half until the series actually airs. But for some reason, Universal Home Video has decided to... I don't know. It seems it seems like it's an awfully early to try and like wet your appetite yeah. for it. But uh, yeah, they've released the 90-minute uh, 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 pilot episode. On DVD, and it's available for um, online download. And this takes place, I mean, obviously before Battlestar Galactica, but is this, where in the Battlestar timeline does this take it's place? It's 50 years uh, before the events of Battlestar Galactica. It's on the planet Caprica. Uh, the main characters are Eric Stoltz, uh, plays a lawyer whose daughter is very into, a lot, uh, there's a lot of uh, virtual reality entertainment and stuff, and his daughter is very into that and she actually creates for herself an elaborate online persona and downloads her personality into it and he for various reasons wants to make a uh, a clone of her and goes to uh joseph adama who is the grandpa or father or whatever of admiral adama who actually is involved in uh, creating cybernetics he's a uh, he's a scientist and so we find out this- that the adamas are far more far more connected to the creation of Cylons than we ever imagined. That is what makes me a little bit leery about this, by the way. I am always, I'm made a little bit skittish by uh, spinoff or related properties where they reduce the universe of characters down to like the same three families who are somehow tied into everything that ever happens uh, you know, re- regarding the fate of, of mankind or the story arc or whatever. At some point, is there going to be uh, like a wacky robot uh, sidekick companion as a sort of counterpoint to the rise of the a sidelines? A talking robot dog, I hope. I mean, I mean, because at the end of Battlestar, spoilers, lol, they did that whole montage of showing the rise of the machines or whatever and how it goes from that, like, that Aibo, yeah. you know, like household pet or whatever that, that, that they have in Japan. Yeah, all that the way $600 up to, like, Sony robot dog. <laughs> You know, and then ending with like the Eviscerator uh, 9000 or, you know, and so Caprica seems to be kind of going down that that same uh, road. And I wonder if they're releasing the pilot now because they suspect that probably not a lot of people are really going to care all that much in a year. So they figured they do it now in the afterglow of the Battlestar finale. Probably. They probably want to get uh, Battlestar fans on board because the early word I've heard from people who have actually seen it, I haven't seen it, is that if you're new to the series, if you're coming into this and you're not a Battlestar fan, you're not going to understand what the point is. Right. It, it's it's going to be lost on you for the most part. So, All right, then. What else is uh, out in the world of DVD entertainment? Well, two of our favorite movies of last year, at least mine, but I think yours as well, uh, The Wrestler and Frost Nixon Fantastic. are both on DVD today. So, uh, and Frost Nixon, if, if you haven't seen Frost Nixon, it is, is worth picking up and watching because it's, um, it seems like if you're, if you're avoiding it because you think it's just going to be two guys sitting in chairs and Frank Langella doing a Nixon impression, it's so much more than that because the first full hour of this movie is the setup to show you the machinations behind the scenes of creating the the interview situation to begin with because it was unprecedented at the time this is something like this had never happened before and david frost uh, started out as a comedian he was a talk show host decided he was going to 
get huge ratings and a whole lot of money by nabbing this interview with Nixon. And none of the networks would carry it because they couldn't have any editorial control. And so he financed it himself, cutting a personal check to Richard Nixon for $200,000 to get him on board to do this. And if you think about it, it's it's a lot like if uh, like Jimmy Kimmel got an interview with, say, Dick Cheney and Cheney was going to like come clean about Iraq. Well, because Nixon just figured he was just that this guy, David Frost, was just so insignificant. You know, that he was just that he was just such a lightweight that what could possibly go wrong? I mean, yeah, Nixon, Nixon's agenda was he wanted to uh, talk about all the good things he did about in his presidency right. and thought this would help clear his name up a little bit. Frost, on the other hand, had these uh, crack uh, researchers behind him who were actually wanted to nail him to the wall. So when they finally come together and do the interview, it's with these completely almost opposite agendas of, of the reasons that they're there and it really is very dynamic it's, an, and and it, it's, it's a beautifully done it's, movie and it's a great film and it doesn't i mean i saw it multiple times and just the the notion that the whole thing is a build-up to as you say just two guys sitting you know in the opposite side of the room in chairs talking it's it really is a powerful film in that it you know it's not like there's a car chase it's not there's any explosions or whatever but it does i mean but it just crackles constantly i mean the energy it just never feels like it slows down yeah, i think uh, uh, it reminded all. me a lot of the west wing the yeah. pacing and the dialogue hyper- and just that sort of behind the the scenes look at and that hyperkinetic yes. uh, sense to it uh one a final question about frost nixon there's this sequence where nixon i'm not giving anything away here really but where nixon calls him at his hotel room and nixon is presumably drunk and it has this long, sort of wind, long-winded rant that he kind of does, where he goes a little mental. And as much as I, just in my bones, believe that Richard Nixon was capable of that and a whole lot more, I do kind of wonder where, like, what the what the factual underpinnings of that scene are, where Nixon calls the guy and just goes berserk over the phone, because I can't imagine that Nixon himself ever said that, like, yes, that happened. And so you you only have, I wonder if you only have Frost's word to go on that that actually took place, because he doesn't necessarily seem like a guy who'd be above embroidering the facts a bit. That's true. I it, that's absolutely true. I have no idea. But um Nixon was capable of some bizarre and erratic behavior. He uh there's the whole famous incident where he made Henry Kissinger get down on his knees yeah. and pray with him. Uh he he did have he did have a temper, quite a temper. So I know, but at the same time, something that Langelli gets across in this movie that I don't think a lot of people really understand is that Nixon was also reportedly very charming. And uh, and very charismatic for a man who was not what you'd call conventionally good looking. And Langella really manages to get that across, which I thought w- without doing a caricature of, of Nixon. So I, I don't it's, it's really is an excellent movie and, uh, and and worth picking up. And also The Wrestler is on DVD today with uh, with. Mickey Rourke, and if you have not seen this movie, you should definitely see it on a uh, see it on a strong, strong day. day. Don't see that on a day when you've been fired or diagnosed with something malignant. No, no, it's not, it's not what a cheery feel good no hippity hop movie. Really not. Don Taylor at Cinematical, and then also at CinemasideShow.com. Yes. Right there. All right. The Rick Emerson Show continues next with Katie Darrell from TMZ.com. Later on, we will talk more about your chance to see the brand new Star Trek film five days ahead of everyone else. Rick Emerson Show continues next on Rock 101 KUFO. It's the Rick Emerson Show on Rock 101 KUFO. It is Tuesday morning. Good morning to you. It's 503-733-2970. Coming up in the next hour, uh, Brett Michaels from Poison will also talk about how you might win yourself a pair of tickets to the Portland premiere of Star Trek happening on May 2nd, brought to you by KUFO. And uh, we will also have Tim Riley with more news. This, ladies and gentlemen, from TMZ.com. 
the one and only Katie Darrell. Hello, Katie. How are you today? Hi. Good morning. Thanks for having me, and thanks for having music. You know, uh, Rick Emerson only forgets such things once, and then he learns his lesson uh, very quickly. So there you go. (laughs) I always uh, I live to uh, I live to uh, accoutrementize things so and there well, we go thank you that. very much yes. greatly appreciated because you know you gotta have a good intro when you got great stories from tmz right yes yes you do and see and not that you need any additional momentum uh but i like to do whatever i can to contribute to our always uh stellar uh segments what is i mean last week we had it was the the mel gibson thing last week and then something else it was like a real strong uh one-two punch oh so, yeah we had the um uh the murder the murder trial there was uh there was phil specter so i mean it does seem like the last few weeks the last few months uh it really is just a uh, an accelerated uh, pace to what has uh, already been kind of a, a hectic year. So what is uh, what is happening at TMZ.com today? Well, today we've got a little bit of a he said, she said type of thing going on. Madonna apparently fell off of her horse uh, while riding in the Hamptons over the weekend, all right? She likes to blame it on the paparazzi and said, you know, oh, they, they scared their, the horse. The horse was spooked. That's what made her fall off. Well, then the paparazzi said, we didn't do it because if we did, we'd have a picture of it. Hello, that's good money. You know, it's definitely worth taking on that risk. So she's saying they were there and caused this this, uh, mishap. They say they weren't. And now the police report has been released. And uh, nothing is mentioned in the police report from Madonna's camp about the paparazzi or photographer being there starting their horse. So we just kind of want to know, like, what's the point of making up this story? You know, I mean, why point your finger and blame the paparazzi when they weren't there or if you're not going to, you know, then put it in the police report? So it looks like the paparazzi are going to definitely get away with this, even though obviously it probably looks like they're not getting away with anything because they didn't do anything. Well, do you suppose that if you're a Madonna or a celebrity of a certain uh, stature, that it's just re- blaming the paparazzi is just sort of reflexive at this point? Like you I almost. Think it, it reminds me of when you, you're a little kid and you got the big sister, little sister, or big brother, little brother, and the little brother starts to learn that when you fall down, you just point to the big brother and that big brother gets in trouble. Exactly. You don't have to take responsibility for tripping over your own feet anymore. You get to say, oh, it's the paparazzi. Exactly. What else is, uh, what else is happening? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, we've got this great picture up. Um, you got to go check it out. Uh, Zach Efron, his girlfriend, Vanessa Hudgens, they're sitting front row at the Lakers game. Next to them, Mr. Harvey Levin from TMZ, looking the wrong way at the wrong time because Zach Efron is totally punking him and putting up bunny ears. Uh, so our, our headmaster totally got taken at the game. Pretty cute photo to see that uh, these celebrities, you know, they can they can dish out what they're being dished to. So you know, the bunny ears are an interesting phenomenon in the American f- uh, picture taking world. Do you have a? I, I kind of want to go back through the mists of time and exactly sort of quantify who it was that first decided that that was the best way uh, to augment an existing picture. Yeah. Oh, the bunny ears. I know. <laughs> Just that, and said, no, 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 and that's brilliant. And then it was immediate, and then it was passed down from father to son uh, <laughs> through the generations. Zach Efron, let me. Ask you this: Have you, Do you share the assessment that it's not that he is a, it's not that he's a bad-looking guy, certainly, a, a, you know, an, an attractive guy, but he seems like he seems like a sort of miniature version of a good-looking celebrity. It seems like he's kind of he's just ever so slightly out of proportion. I can't quite tell though. I think his head is a little big, but that might be his hair. Like his hair is rather large as well, so he does kind of look like a bobblehead of some sort. Right. Um, and there does seem to be something a little off. But I'm afraid, like, because I'm 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 pushing that thirty mark, all right. So I'm getting up there, and I'm starting to think it is inappropriate for me to be thinking that this young chap is, is so cute and good looking. So I really have tainted my views on him, and I, I just think he's a monster because I don't want to go there. Because I'm like, come on, he's so young. That's just the 
creeps you can't be a cougar at 30 i mean that's just despicable you don't want to be the uh, you don't want to be the butterfuco to his amy fisher uh, yeah, in any way yeah. the, the just one more, speaking of, of weird looking guys so uh, i think this is probably well traveled uh, territory at this point but i saw again he was at some press conference he was in the news doing something the other that guy who plays edward in twilight okay he looks like he was hit with a frying pan there's there's something there's something wrong with his head and his face. It just everything above the neck on that guy is is odd, and not just when he's in character where he's got where they give him the Beavis uh, hair. There's something. It is like it's like when you put a marshmallow in the microwave, and the first thing it does is to just get all uh, big and wobbly, but then everything starts to shift a little bit, and then even when it cools down, it never quite goes back to its normal marshmallow shape. It just is a little off center, and that's kind of what that guy looks like. Rick. I couldn't agree with you more. Right. I couldn't agree with you more. But then again, I have to. I have to then reprimand myself that I, I've read all the books. All right, and by the time I got done with book number four, I was kind of like, maybe he is hot. I don't know. Maybe it's all this vampire sex that's getting to my head. I don't know. Now you know that's going to be my new thing. Instead of blaming the paparazzi for anything, I'm going to blame vampire sex <laughs> for all of my. The IRS comes and asks me, "What's up with your tax return?" I'm going to go vampire sex. I just uh, it's clouded my judgment, sir. <laughs> over for speeding vampire sack that's gonna be it's gonna be my default excuse for all ills and problems excellent katie daryl from tmz of course tmz television tonight at 11 30 on fox 12 thank you katie thank you so much all right there you go Bye. katie daryl ladies and gentlemen fantastic she makes me that laugh out fantastic loud. <laughs> oh, wow tim and i have our mics are up and we're just laughing our asses off over here i just got this email katie daryl is awesome <laughs> she really is yeah she uh she is uh, he says rick i was always the older brother that got in trouble for hurting his siblings when he didn't because they learned they could get me in trouble for just pointing at me when they did something stupid. He says, praise Katie Darrell, who is hot, uh, by the way. All right, so She is a good-looking lady. She is an attractive woman. She is. It's, and, uh, and she admires you very much. Well, you know, I... Uh, I mean, you're, you're so right, speaking of people with marshmallow-shaped heads. That's just the vampire sex that's making her think that, Tim. Uh, what headlines are we uh, tracking this morning, Tim Riley? Well, I don't know if it's worthwhile after that. But, yeah, well, I mean, well, well, <laughs> Uh, well, General Motors has spent $2.8 million lobbying Congress to get more money in a work. Now they're getting $5 billion more. Portland's jobless rate rises to over 11%. A Gresham shoplifter is caught in the act for the 30th time. Memorial Coliseum may not be demolished as originally scheduled, so now we got to find another spot for a baseball stadium to spend money on. 39th Avenue may be renamed Cesar Chavez Avenue after all. Obese people are causing all this global warming, putting us all at risk. And one out of ten American children is addicted to video games. That is all ahead, plus Brett Michaels and more information on how you can score yourself a pair of passes to see the new Star Trek film Five Days Before Ordinary Mortals. It is the Rick Emerson Show. It's Rock 101 KUFO. Rick Emerson. Oh, oops, are his niche. The Rick Emerson Show returns. This is Rock 101 KUFO. It's the Rick Emerson Show. It's Rock 101 KUFO. Thank you for joining us today. It's 503-733-2970. Something funny happening over the other side oh, of the room? we're just no. amused by the program. <laughs> all right. Is it because of my uh, my many witticisms and wisecracks, Tim? Yes, Rick, it it's is. all about you. Well, I yeah, like to think so. That's what we come here to hear every day. It's, uh, it's only about me when it's not about vampire sex, apparently. Katie. Rick just wrote me the funniest thing, too. He's like, in the event of an actual Brett Michaels call, how far out are we? <laughs> no, no, no. He'll... uh break glass. He will be uh, speaking to us in... Uh, three minutes? Know, three, three, five minutes. I just sent out a, a Twitter uh, about it. So, I did, too. Uh, right. Well, you know, if Oprah's doing it, Sarah, did I tell you... Were we, was this on the air yesterday? We were talking about that website called... Yeah, what is it called? 
It is called, I believe it's herebeforeoprah.com. Yes. Mm-hmm. And you go to herebeforeoprah.com and you type in somebody's Twitter, like their username or whatever, and it will actually tell you whether they signed up before or after Oprah started talking about it. By the way, it's point of pride with me that I see, I don't know when she, when she signed up though, because she sent her first like tweet, tweet thing out, whatever, last week. But I don't know when she signed up. So it might actually say that I was there after Oprah, uh, because I don't know when. You know, I don't know. I don't know when it was that, that she actually. They're one of her people, mm-hmm. uh, because she probably has somebody that does kind of what you do. Where like, as soon as a new technology or a new social networking thing comes out, you just sort of lock down the the, the name so you've got it if you want it. But anyway, yeah, that's here before Oprah. Uh, com. Tim Riley is tracking the following stories on this Tuesday morning. The Dungeness crab moves one step closer to becoming the state crustacean. That's a uh, that's a crab that ties you up and flogs you. Mm-hmm. And parents are warned to be careful not to let their children fall out windows. Now it's going to be another hot day. The windows will be open. Kids always fall out windows. And incidentally, happen to yours. And just on that note, that's like telling your kids not to go up and talk to the strange man with the strange monkey on the bench in Salem. If you really need to be told again, I mean, we've been having weather for, I would say, several years as as a race, as people, as humans. I would say that uh, Homo sapiens have been dealing with what do you call it? Wind and gravity and fire. all of these things for quite some time. If one must be told not to let your kids go teeter uh, toward an open window, first of all, I don't even understand what that means. Because when you say keep your kids away from the window, now that I think about it, there's no logic to this story. Because, kids are falling out windows. Yeah, okay, but see, here's my thing about that. It, it, unless you're on the first floor, where it seems like there's a really negligible amount of damage they could do. I mean, unless, I mean, I guess a kid could injure themselves in the first place where they throw themselves at the window five, six, seven, eight, nine times in a row. I mean, they'd really have to work at it, but they could probably hurt themselves. But if your kid has fallen out of like a fifth or sixth story window or something, aren't there like screens? There's, I mean, isn't there something blocking it? Well, screens are easy to push out. Well, see, but then it raises the issue of you've got a kid who's strong enough to actually remove the screen. Mm-hmm. And if the kid is uh, strong enough to remove the screen... I would say that kid is uh, smart enough to begin making its own decisions about whether or not to leap out of a window. And, well, uh, you got to make make it in the the child's best interest not to fall off the window. Stay away from the window, and I'll let you pet the man's monkey in the park later. <laughs> uh, That's the way you deal with it. Who wants a chimpanzee ride? Okay. Uh, On the a... list of the best cities for your career, for some reason. Kennewick, Washington. It says here it is far less expensive than coastal communities in the same state. No. And residents and businesses enjoy cheap hydroelectric power. I can't believe what I'm hearing. You're saying... One of us got our career started there. The cost of living in my hometown of Kennewick, Washington is, in fact, not prohibitively high, Tim. Because of cheap hydroelectric power, and that's why people are flocking to uh, to start their careers. Also, it's an anus where no one wants to live. It doesn't mention uh, the anus part. (laughs) It never does, Tim. The the anus part is always a, the anus is implied. It's never explicitly stated. By the way, if you go to and this is, I guess somebody told me that I'm on the the Wikipedia thing of like notable persons from Kennewick. How many are there? I mean, there's like five. Uh, there is uh, myself. There was Terrence Knox, I believe his name was. Uh, and he was a guy. He played. He played Doctor. What's his Name on St. Elsewhere. I don't remember the guy's name though. Uh, Doctor White, I think, is it Peter White? Who was uh, he? Was like a, a doctor who was he was like a doctor villain. He was like a rapist doctor or something. He was on St. Elsewhere in the eighties. <laughs> a rapist. Doctor? He was the rape doctor. Which is the, the rape doctor? By the way, that'll be the name of my uh, that'll be the name of my metal band uh, someday when I put the project together. Um, but he played this sort of villainous doctor on St. Elsewhere. He is from the Tri Cities area, which is kind of like uh, Richland and Pasco. Who else? Sharon Tate was from Richland. Which is, again, you know, we're sort of like, that's like a Portland Gresham Clackamas thing. It's basically all one city. So Sharon Tate, Terrence Knox, 
a whole bunch of athletes uh, have come out of my hometown. And then, and then me. Can we give us a NASCAR driver, NFL defensive tackle, Danica Stewart. Does it still say Rick Emerson? It does. Well, that's as it should be. So. <laughs> oh, the phone is ringing. Oh. Uh, well, let's do one more here while we are uh, uh, having uh, Greg deal with uh, that call. Well, the Gresham shoplifter is accused of stealing shrimp and meat, and it's not the first time. Donald Mitchell has already been charged with 29 counts of shoplifting. This time, the scene of the crime was the Gresham Albertsons, where employees commanded him to hand over the stolen goods. He then reached behind his back as if he had a weapon and threatened to shoot them. Police uh, quickly found him a few blocks away, carrying $160 in stolen shrimp, ribs, hamburg, and a pot roast. I mean, how many things could there possibly be to shoplift in a Gresham store anyway? I mean, this is the 30th well, this time. Is yeah. Who gets away with shoplifting 30 t- Well, I guess not this getting guy. away with it, but. I mean, once you've uh, taken, like, the package of Swisher sheet, uh, sweet, you know, those, those, like, cigar things, those, uh, now I can't even say it. I'm trying to do the joke about Swisher sweets, and it didn't really work. And then I was going to end with Slim Jim, because that's funny. It's a funny word, Slim Jim. Then there was a fellow who robbed the bank and put the money in his trousers. Bad move. The dye pack exploded and damaged his groin. It appeared to be the suspect at this point in time due to the dye packs that exploded on his hands and in his groin area and uh, all over his chest. That's what makes the community a better place and, and makes it safe for everybody and helps us get the bad guys off the street. That's what makes the community better, Tim, is brightly colored groin areas. Really? Damage to a groin is just a bad phrase. What there's, groin is an unpleasant word mm-hmm. because it's impossible for me to hear the word groin without then thinking of that thing where you know, he pulled a groin muscle, uh, John, and so he's going to be out for at least the rest of the season. I'm robbing this bank. Please put the money in my groin. <laughs> That's only when that little tube thing that goes to the vacuum uh, deal doesn't work. I'm sorry, I'm having some trouble with this envelope. Could you just deposit that money directly in my groin area? Thanks so much. No, 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 the non-exploding money. Well, whatever. I'll figure it out when I walk out the door. And a Florida man is mercilessly stung by bees. They attacked me like a bunch of mad wolves. I was mowing the lawn, and I just bumped into that into the, the uh, hive or whatever you call it, and it just exploded. I thought I was going to die because they would, they were, they were like rabbit animals. It sounds like the uh, bees went straight for his teeth and uvula. Mm-hmm. All right. It is the Rick Emerson Show. It's Rock 101 KUFO. Let's welcome now to the Rick Emerson Radio Show, uh, rock and roll singer, actor, writer, and star of Rock of Love. And he's going to be at the Roseland. It is May 6th uh, at the Roseland Theater. You can get tickets at ticketswest.com, Safeway locations, uh, Music Millennium, or just call 503-224-TIX-TIXX, the one and only uh, Brett Michaels. Hello, sir. How are you today? Hey, good morning, Rick. How are you doing this morning? I am fantabulous, my friend. How's life? How are things? Life is good, and I was going to tell them they could also rob them and stick them in their groin area. <laughs> and hope they don't, the tickets don't explode. The, uh, do you ever just wake <laughs> up so that you just kind of get out of bed and you, you kind of stretch and you have your morning coffee or whatever, and you, you stop and you think to yourself, you say, well, I am, you pardon the pun, uh, a flesh and blood uh, rock star. Uh, I'm an actor. Let's see. I'm a writer, and we'll talk more about that in a second. Uh, let's see. I have this reality show where an entire network goes out of their way to hook me up with hot girls, and then just stop and go, I rule. <laughs> I didn't, I've never thought of it quite that way, but I've, uh, and, and, and I'll tell you what, in, in writing this, uh, I was going to say this, in writing this book, that uh, this um, autobiography, I've, I've, for years and years, have kind of avoided the whole thing, because I think it's, you look back, and it, I don't know whether it's going to be therapeutic or kind of scary, and you look back and do all the things that you set out to do, but none of it turns out exactly the way you think it's going to be, but at the same time, it's an awesome, it's really an awesome journey, and that's that's the way I look at it, like and going out, having fun, doing what I love to do. 
news, setting out, being driven. And then the next thing you know, it was just as as I'm doing it, and you look back and you're thinking, it's pretty it's pretty strange when you look back and, and you start to write it all out of all the places you've been, you've done, you've seen, the craziness, the good times, and and, and, and it all kind of comes together. It's pretty interesting. And and so uh, the book is called Roses and Thorns, uh, The Reality of Rock and Roll Fantasy. Uh, Brett Michaels, and you can pre-order that now, uh, Amazon.com or BrettMichaels.com. When you, uh, when you look back, do you ever get, how do I put this, do you ever get sort of uh, retroactively terrified where you, you see the early days when you were coming up and you realize there's a billion ways that it could have gone wrong and you would have ended up just some guy uh, pumping gas somewhere? I think every bill, that's why I was laughing earlier when you, the, when you, if I think of the billion ways it could have gone wrong, I think I covered all of them. And that has been the miracle of my, I think writing the book and the, the, the funniness of both Poison and me out solo is that I think we covered most of the wrong ways you can do it and somehow survived. I mean, we, when I say paid your dues, I can't laugh enough because we started out in a small town in Pennsylvania and you don't play there. Uh, you spend a lot of time in the winter, you start in the basement, work your way up to the garage, and we covered every nightclub, moved the pool table out of the way, and just in some strange way found a way to to make it work. And I'm sure that we have never, uh, because we were an independent band, we never got signed to a major label in the beginning. Our first album we put out ourselves with Cat Dragged In and and then opened up and say, now by then Capitol Records had picked it up when it started, when it sold a lot of albums or, or CDs, and I think we would covered every path, and, and you're right. I, I think part of my motivation uh, is, is two things. One is, you know, knowing this is what I wanted to do and find a way, and when I was six years old, I got um, diagnosed with juvenile diabetes, and I do uh, four injections a day, and part of that, the old way of, of wanting you to follow this regimen was to scare you, and they told you all about, you know, life expectancy, short, this, that, and I think just knowing that I try to cram it all in, uh, thinking it was not going to be a long amount of time to do it. Somebody told me, and I don't know if this is true or not, that 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 look what the cat dragged in was recorded. It was something insane. It was like for like eight grand or something, and just over a handful of days. Yeah, fifteen. It was actually less than what demos were being made for then. Uh, we did it for just under fifteen thousand dollars, and most of that money just came from us trying to do whatever we could do uh, to put that money together. And like I said, we were an independent uh, band. And we had this really teeny label that was distributing us called Enigma uh, that were great, and they put in whatever money we didn't have. They helped us finish it, and that's exactly how it happened. And that's why when so much of that the, the, that sort of big scene popped, we were one of the true bands that were out there really working it, and there was no no major deal, no nothing come flying in, and we just went out and worked it and, and did it by touring city by city. And you obviously have done you know, the multiple records with Poison, you know, all around the world, live albums, and and you've done uh, you've got solo records that are out. You've got the book that's coming out. When people go to see a Brett Michaels show, you're going to be here at the Roseland May sixth. What what should they expect? What is that experience going to be like when you have so much material to draw from? It's re- I'll tell you what, I'm glad you asked, because this is one thing I want to make sure the fans understand. When I go out solo, it is really, I put, I combine 
bring everything together. First of all, it's a full-on band and full-on production. But what I get to do different than I do with Poison, first of all, I get to, the great thing is I, I play all the Poison hits, but what I do is I break them down a little bit for people. And, you know, just before we'll go into the full version of the song, I'll explain a little bit about behind the song, what we were thinking. I get to do all the brand new solo material, like Go That Far, which is a theme song from Rock of Love, um, Bittersweet, which kicked off the new single. And it's it's a really awesome feeling. And I also pull a lot of stuff out from uh, music I grew up on, from Skinner and, and Bob Dylan and some Hendrix and stuff like that that I bring up a new contemporary version and just explain to people what's behind it. But it is really a high-energy, full-on, exciting show. So you, in addition to uh, the book, the music, and now you're the, wrapping up the third season of Rock of Love, you've really survived and, and flourished in a way that a lot of people, I mean, regardless of what era they're from, uh, in, a, in, in a very highly uh, unforgiving industry, competitive industry, how do you explain the fact that you are still here and still out there being successful when a lot of people aren't? You know what? I, I say this, and I, I go back to one thing, and I, and I give credit. I, I want to make sure I say this properly. I give credit to all musicians out there, uh, you know, from the beginning on through to however long their career lasts. It's a struggle, and it is completely unforgiving business, which is a lot of what this book is about. We put it this way. You you find a way to make it work, and it's funny. In, in the book, I talk about this, which is very true. Sometimes your band can break up because one member didn't have the gas money to get to right. a rehearsal. I mean, you you know, you're thinking, uh, you know, all these bands that make it and survive and the ones you see, you forget about the millions that have tried it. And it can be the, as simple as gas money uh, early on in our career. Our guitar player, uh, his girlfriend, um, got pregnant very early on, and he did the right thing. We had no money, starving, living behind a dry cleaner in a warehouse, and he took care of her. And, and, and they took care of each other, and they're still together. He did the right thing because there was, at that point, no chance uh, or no future for us at that point. We were starving. And, and eventually it hit big, but you find a way. And that's really what we've done uh, throughout, or I've done, and Poison's done throughout its entire career. I remember the, the, the very, very first time uh, that I heard Poison, I heard Talk Dirty to Me. And I've, it's a long, pointless story that I won't rehash here. But I uh, but basically, I was, I was out. I was a teenager, however old. And I was at a local kind of a water park, one of those like water slide places. And there was, you know, just just entering teenage years. And, you know, you're kind of, as Steven Tyler says, just a, a hormone and a sneaker. And there was a I'm sitting there and there's a girl in a bikini and I can picture it like it was yesterday. A gorgeous girl of however old sits down and she's just just unbelievably beautiful. And, you know, and it's a summer day and the sun is beating down and everything's perfect. And and I'm kind of looking at this girl going, wow, that. Boy, I don't even know what I, what, that's fantastic. And as I'm having this moment of kind of just staring really brazenly at this girl, a guy, and here I am rehashing the story, a guy walks by with a, like one of those big boombox things and talk dirty to me came on at that moment. And it, it was just at, at that instant, even though I didn't really understand to some degree what you were singing about in the song and what you were referring to, like internally, I just got it. I, even though I didn't understand it, I got it. And that song, you listen to it now, uh, you know, with, with a, just a lot of a lot of poison songs and a lot of your stuff where it just rings so true because you guys obviously took your fun seriously. You took your entertainment seriously. And that came across in the in, in the music. You you know, it, you guys were given everything you could, even when it was a song about something, you know, that other people might consider uh, trivial. 
Absolutely. You, and this is the fun. You, you nailed something and, and that really hit home. And, and this is especially for me when you take your fun seriously. And, and I knew that I wanted to have a career. I didn't want to be, I mean, you're never going to predict the future, but I never wanted to be a one hit wonder. That was not the, what I wanted to do. And when, when I, when we wrote Talk Dirty to Me, we were having fun and doing it. And, and this is the one thing people, it, for me, is the toughest thing to write is a fun song. If you, like when my best friend passed away, Chemo, and I wrote something to believe in, I was able to sit in my room for three days and I could have wrote 52 songs out of one of the worst things that happened in my life. When my heart got broken or uh, in a relationship that went bad and I wrote Every Rose, when I was writing that, I could have it was an exact emotion when you're partying or when you see that hot girl at the water park and you're having a great time, you know what you're having fun. You're having an awesome time, but that doesn't always want to make you sit down and write a song. In other words, it's, it's when you go through the tough times that you have an exact emotion that you can write a much better song, but believe it or not, the nothing but a good times talk dirty to me is unskinny bop. As fun as they were, what happens is, is you need that in order, especially for me, to just go out and have fun on stage, to have a great time, and know that all the hard work you put in it has a payoff. We're talking to Brett Michaels. He's going to be at the Roseland May 6th. You can get tickets at ticketswest.com. And Roses and Thorns, the new autobiography, uh, is uh, available for pre-order at amazon.com or brettmichaels.com. Uh, so uh, thank you so much, uh, my friend, for spending some time with us today and continued success. And that show is at the Roseland May 6th. You can find that more at brettmichaels.com. You can order the autobiography there uh, as well. So uh, thank you so much. You have a fantastic day, sir. Hey, you too, Rick. Thanks for having me on. All right. Thank you. There you go. Greg, you want to pick that up? And uh, his cell phone's kind of dropping out there. So Cool. He sounds so sure of himself. He has a very attractive sounding voice. Are you kidding me? He's, I mean. He's uh, the Anthony Robbins of the rock and roll world. Uh, you know, and the thing, it, it, you know, that everything I said is absolutely true in the sense that, you know, you think so many guys from that era and that type of rock, whatever cutesy name people want to use for it. You know, 89% of those guys gone, gone and forgotten. Uh, and you know, he just wrapped up the third series of a television show that a lot of people watched on the road and somebody's uh, publishing his life story as a book. Uh, you know, and I can say that about like zero, uh, of the people, uh, you know, in this room right now. So, oh, thanks, Rick. Um, no, I'm just saying, well, you know, but, but the thing I is feel like, like a loser. No, no, Seriously. No, no, just, no, I don't want to be compared to Brett Michaels. I'm just, no, I'm saying, you know, that maybe I should get some of those hair extensions. I guess my point is that it's easy for a lot of people to dismiss a guy like that. Do you know what I mean? Like that a lot of times I guess, people but I mean, look at but I just a guy see like successful. that. That's that's what I'm saying. People look at a guy like that from a certain era or type of rock, and it's really easy to sneer at that. You know, it's really easy to snicker at that. And I'm not saying we do that, but I'm saying like, he's, you know, he's a famous, you know, he's a big famous guy. And it's that is when you hear that self-assurance. It's like whatever jibes or, you know, smirks get thrown his way. I think that's a guy who looks in the mirror, whether he says it or not, and goes like, I'm Brett Michaels. And yeah, girls else are is. fighting over who gets to sleep with Seriously. me. Seriously. <laughs> so, excellent. All right, there you go. Uh, Brett Michaels, ladies and gentlemen, back after this, the Rick Emerson Show, Rock 101, KUFO. This email says, you should tell Brett that Sarah wants Brett to help her get on his show because being with Brett Michaels has been a dream ever since she was a small girl. Ew. I think for the not rest to say of- he's not an attractive guy, but not my type. I think for the rest of the uh, I think for the rest of the month we should compare our own career trajectories with that of Brett Michaels. We should pick a different '80s rock star every day to compare us, uh, contrast ourselves with. Have you ever seen that show? Rock of Love. Yeah, yeah. Lara watches it. Yeah. the The best part is when there's a girl up in like a plastic, like stripper box. And he puts a quarter in, and like instead of dancing, she has to iron his shirts. I saw that one. It was righteous. That's when I was like, 
Brett Michaels, you speak for all of us, sir. Fantastic. Tomorrow we can compare ourselves to the guys in Trickster. We'll all feel much better about things. SecretArtVark.com is a website you got to go to. That's Artvark with two ways. SecretArtVark.com. That is the website for Secret Artvark Abanero Hot Sauce. It's an all-original Abanero uh, Caribbean Southwestern-inspired hot sauce. And the recipe is right here uh, in Portland, Oregon, made right here. The company is here in Portland, Oregon. Uh, you can get it at New Seasons Markets in Portland area Whole Foods. You can go to the website and find out uh, more about it. And you probably have started to see it at restaurants around town. In fact, I was just at... Um, Actually, I, now I don't even remember the plane to place. It was on the 23rd. It was on uh, 23rd on Saturday night, and Laura and I were going out, and we had plans, stop in, get a sandwich. Right there on the countertop uh, was Secret Aardvark. You and were on 23rd? It was, well, I, I That's didn't. crazy talk. She was, she was driving, so I didn't really have any choice but to go along. But the point is, even at that restaurant, Tim, a place where I might normally have felt uh, unwanted or unwelcomed. Uh, That's in the, your imagination. The well, the it's because of the vampire sex. The uh, welcoming side of the secret artifact was right there on the counter. And it just it goes with everything. I mean, you buy it, and it's going to be the most frequently used condiment sauce uh, or spice in your house. So, you know, take my word for it. You go try it yourself. SecretArtVark.com. Find out where they serve it and where they sell it. SecretArtVark.com for Secret Artvark Abanero Hot Sauce. One sauce to rule them all. It's the Rick Emerson Show on Rock 101 KUFO. Uh, just uh, mere moments from that, we will have part two of our exclusive three-part interview with Harry Shearer of uh, Spinal Tap and Simpsons fam. Today's segment is him discussing The Simpsons, and we'll follow that up uh, tomorrow with actually Simpsons talk and some general uh, dis- discussion of his uh, of his career. So that's in just one moment. Right now, ladies and gentlemen, we will be taking uh, caller number 10, your copy of American Swing on DVD. It's a walk on the wilder side of New York City in the 70s with a long look into the world's most famous sex club, Plato's Retreat. Uh, ret- 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 heat <laughs> no i don't think it was called that <laughs> no maybe one nor of is it re- retweet uh that is uh, american swing available now on dvd from magnolia home entertainment so caller 10 will win a uh, copy of that on dvd right now 503-733-2970 all right without further ado uh part two of our three-part interview with harry shearer on the rick emerson show on rock 101 kufo i think this has to be called one of the great uh, path crossings of all time that you were befriended by or mentored by uh, Mel Blanc yeah. early on. What are your memories of, of Mel Blanc? Well, you know, it's it's weird because if you if if a writer looks at that material and says, gee, you worked with Mel Blanc as a kid, then ends up doing Voices on the Simpsons, it looks like there's a straight line there. Uh, he never said anything to me about, hey, kid, here's the way you do voices or anything like that. He had a, a son my age, about my age, Noel, uh, who for a while took over uh, for – Listeners who don't know, Mel Blanc was the voice of all the Looney Tunes cartoons for years and years and years and years and years. Just made up all those voices, Bugs and Porky and all those great comic characters. And was also did characters on the Jack Benny show. And so as I say, he had his, a son my age and just sort of in the this phrase, just you can't use it these days without thinking about priests or something, but it's very innocent, took a shine to me. And... Uh, was just very fatherly to me, you know, in a situation where my parents were both working and, and couldn't always be at the shows. So he just was like really, uh, really very nice to me. At the time, did it seem uh, surreal to you uh, to think, oh, that's Mel Blanc? Who's, uh, no, all the no. I long before I got into show business, I, I thought that the kid thing was sort of a uh, jive and I uh, just wanted to hang around the grownups because I figured right. they had the cool stuff. And so, no, it, it didn't seem surreal at all. It seemed like well, this is – it's like when you dream of something as a kid and then, you know, two years later, 
it gets handed to you mm-hmm. on a silver platter. You just think, well, that's the way life works. All I, right, then. I think about it, and then they give it to me. That's as it ought to be. Exactly right. Now, now I'm running the universe. And your vocal abilities, not just on The Simpsons, but in, in, in lots of arenas, are, at times, they are almost otherworldly. Do you think that uh, vocal abilities, the, the ability to, to mimic or to create uh, alternate vocal personas, is something you're born with to some degree? I think that what you're born with is the ear that lets you hear the stuff that you then can replicate, uh, uh, which is why so many people in comedy uh, either have or think they have musical talent because they have some sort of musicality to their ear. Uh, But, you know, if you don't get an inheritance like I got from my dad, the baritone of a good set of pipes, the the ear won't do you much good if if every voice you try to do comes out like this. You know, I'm now I'll be doing the voice of President Bush. <laughs> so one must have the uh, one must have the clay, not just a desire to mold. And That's sculpt. correct. That's correct. How many of your your mainstay Simpsons voices are based on on real people or a combination of real people? Uh, only two, and it depends what you mean by real. I, well, people I, on television. Okay, so but but actual extant, uh, yeah, flesh and blood voices. Yeah, I was starting to run out uh, of of just made up voices because the the first dozen were just pure guesses, just kind of middle middle sound like this, having no reference to anybody I'd ever heard. And then as we started to go along, and I was trying to come up with new voices, new sounds that were not in a similar vocal de- department. Um, I made two reaches. One was, um, if you remember, uh, Charles Kiralt used to be on CBS. On the road. On the road. And he was on the road because he had a a, a mistress uh, in a love shack in Montana, as it turned out. But he was always going. So I I used to do Charles Kiralt takeoffs uh, on the radio and other places. Uh, Chris, when when Christopher Guest and I went to Saturday Night Live, we kept trying to submit a script for a Charles Kiralt piece. You know, because he always had this very avuncular view of all the people that he was profiling. There's a man in Collins Corners, Kentucky, who just can't stand the sight of Jews. And just this <laughs> really avuncular piece about a horrible guy. Couldn't get it on the air. Anyway, um, so I just sort of took that that kind of vocal thing, sped him up, uh, moved him down a little uh, uh, pitch-wise, and, and it became Principal Skinner. And the other was uh, Reverend Lovejoy. I had, had done uh, uh, Ernest Angley uh, a couple times on TV. You know Ernest Angley? I don't, actually. Oh, uh, a wonderfully funny uh, evangelist specialized in uh, the the smiting on the forehead as after you got your healing. Um, and I actually went to one of his services once, and that was where I first uh, got wind of the uh, usage, which appears to be common in the South of referring to Anybody in the audience with sugar diabetes? And I didn't know there was any other kind of diabetes, but they call it sugar diabetes down there. Anyway, so I took him, made him a little less gay, uh, and reduced him in pitch, and that became uh, Reverend Lovejoy. Do you ever just uh, go into the studio and you you stand behind the microphone and you look, you have the, the long, dark tea time of the soul where you say to yourself, oh, this is it, I'm, I have nothing else. I have uh, no more voices, I'm finished. Uh, it lasts about a m- nanosecond. You know, there, uh, and when a new thing comes up, sometimes it'll be just <laughs> last that about that long, you know. And then I just, it's it's all about to me. It's all about just uh, as so many things are, uh, it, at least in sports and and creative endeavors. It's all about just 
taking the leap and not thinking, you know. And the the freeze up occurs if you try to think, if you try to be analytical about how should this guy sound. It's much more uh, to use the old Nikeism, just going for it. Getting over what uh, Norman Mailer called the terrifying tyranny of the completely blank page. Yeah, that's oh. just just in, just let yourself go into it, you know. And uh, the the worst I can say is try something else. There you go. That's uh, part two of our exclusive three-part interview with Harry Shearer. Tomorrow, he continues discussing The Simpsons and other aspects of his long and storied career. And straight ahead, more news from Tim Riley right here on The Rick Emerson Show. It's Rock 101 KUFO. The Rick Emerson Show. And it's just waiting for instructions from its creator before actually spawning. The Rick Emerson Show returns. We now enter the saddest part of the broadcasting day, the final segment of the Rick Emerson Radio Show. Coming up at 9, it is Smells Like the 90s uh, with our good friend Buzz. Don't forget, coming up this Thursday, this Thursday, this Thursday at the Mission, which is at 16th uh, and Gleason in Northwest, KUFO's Rockin' the Red Shirts event. Uh, doors are at 730. Admission is free. 21 or older to attend, though. Uh, so here's the deal. You go to the Mission, which is at 16th and Northwest Gleason this Thursday. You wear a red shirt, and that's it. Uh, you're entered uh, to win a pass for two to the upcoming premiere of the new Star Trek film. Uh, brought to you by KUFO. KUFO is going to be premiering Star Trek Saturday, May 2nd. And these passes will get you in five days before everybody else gets to see it. Five days early. So to win those, you got to be at the Mission, uh, which is this Thursday, 16th and Northwest Gleason, and you got to wear a red shirt. Admission's free. Please be 21 uh, or over. So there you go. Tim Riley, what were uh, today's biggest stories? A bank robber gets second-degree burns from a dye pack that explodes in his groin. <laughs> Obese people are causing global warming. And the Dungeness crab moves one step closer to becoming Oregon's state crustacean. A state crustacean, really? State yes. crustacean. Do we have a state uh, mollusk as well? We may. I'll have to look it up. Is there an entire... Do other states have a state crustacean? Yes, Could there be a list do. of... Uh, is there a <laughs> definitive list of state whatever, state nouns? I would imagine so. Right, I'm going to write that down, but don't call or email or whatever. I'm going to try to find that out tomorrow. State nouns. Can't be used up all our relatability in just one day. All right, there you go. State nouns things. Excellent. Fantastic. All right. Uh, we want to thank uh, Brett Michaels for joining us today. Also, Katie Darrell from TMZ.com, uh, Don Taylor from Cinematical, Harry Shearer. Uh, the third and final part of our Harry Shearer interview will air uh, tomorrow. Does he talk more about the Simpsons stuff? Yeah, he does. I had to actually cut the Simpsons section into, into two chunks because it just kind of it, there's a lot of it. So we'll wrap that up tomorrow, and then the entire interview will be put up uh, uncut uh, on the uh, KUFO.com site end of the week, uh, as well as our Queensryche uh, performance, which is like 40 minutes long. So that's going to be up there as well. Uh, we also want to thank uh, Steve Kastenbaum from CNN Radio, New York. Rick Emerson, show produced today and every day by the lovely and talented Sarah Stillen for Rock 101 KUFO. In the newsroom, Tim Riley on the phones. Greg Nibbler of the Nibblonians, uh, the gatekeeper, Dave's in, webmistress, Bridget from upstairs, CBS Radio, Portland marketing guru, Susan, don't F with me, Reynolds, engineered by Brent Brizendine, who I think is screwing with me because that's the fourth pronunciation. No lie, I was actually dreaming last night about how to pronounce his name correctly. Bastard. Uh, executive producer one, Christopher J. Paddock. Uh, my name is Rick Emerson. Thank you for listening, ladies and gentlemen. It is Tuesday, April 21st, 2009, and that is The Frequency. Kenneth, be safe. See you all tomorrow. Bye. There's a man in Collins Corners, Kentucky, who just can't stand the 